I'm James Rosenthal. I'm Ben Rosenthal. And I'm John Hess. And this is the Remake This Podcast. Hello, we're 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 back. We're we actually uh, survived our battlefield Earth but experience. Can we, can we uh, survive the assault? Uh, is the question. Yes, the assault on our senses. The assault on precinct thirteen. The assault on good taste. So today we're going to be <laughs> that is the assault on good. Yeah. So today's topic, obviously, the assault on precinct thirteen. We're going to be comparing the nineteen seventy six John Carpenter original to the two thousand five remake done by a no name. French director. This is the second remake of his movie that was released in 2005. It was, yeah. This came out. This this remake came out the same year as The Fog. So it's a good company, really. You know? This is the, yeah. the year of John Carpenter remakes. Apparently, it, it was. Because <laughs> uh, they're going to remake two John Carpenter <laughs> movies in the same year. Let's just completely walk all over John Carpenter this year, guys. Does that sound good? <laughs> we're just gonna, yeah, that's great. We're just going to crap on his face this year. That's <laughs> you know, what no one, do. no one cares about The Fog or Assault Precinct 13. We can get away with those, right? <laughs> Nobody even knew those were made. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rob Zombie is, you know, in the background starting up his concoction for Halloween. and Which we'll get to. You know. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. So um, let's just dive right in. I don't have many opening statements except for the fact that I, I have I did watch both of these movies way back in the day. And I had, I forgot a lot about it. And really. I should state, for this recording, I watched the remake before watching the original. Ooh. Just to give a different perspective on. And actually, we should touch on that because uh, we're going to do that going forward. We're going to have at least one of us watch the adaptation or the remake before watching the original work or reading the original work. Because a good adaptation or remake should stand on its own. Exactly. So we want to get a different perspective. This is the first one that we've actually officially tried to do that on. We'll see how that works out. Um, Personally, I, I watched the original before watching the remake. As as did I. Yeah, so we'll see if uh, Ben's experience is mu- different than ours. Yeah, we'll, we'll see who ended on a high note here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so uh, we'll go in We'll go in order. We'll, we'll do the original first, and then we'll get into the remake here. Assault on Precinct 13 opens up like every John Carpenter movie opens up with, with the classic Casio keyboard music. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh. Mm. I, I like this music. I, I yeah. love John Carpenter music, man. I, he I do does too. the music for most, if not all, all of his movies, yeah. which the, is just fantastic. And so it's actually effective. It's very simple. It's not overdone, because he, he really can. I mean, he's just got a keyboard, really. But it, it really works well. Although, well, kind of like a heartbeat kind of sound to it you can do, 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 do. yeah, yeah. it kind of it kind of sets up the simplicity of like the concept of the movie and doesn't really make you think about it too much yeah no it's kind of interesting yeah yeah it's simple and yeah i like it no it's just classic and then uh, obviously in the credits a couple names that jumped out nancy loomis and charles cyphers are mm-hmm. in this film are those Cla- two contractually obligated <laughs> to be in every movie together <laughs> well, every movie with john with john carpenter directing apparently yeah i mean he loved them he, he put them in every one of his early films I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Charles Cyphers fan. Mm. Don't get me wrong, but 
what are these guys doing in every <laughs> single Carpenter movie? I know. It seems like until Carpenter met Kurt Russell, <laughs> these were like his <laughs> staples. Like he had to have Charles Cyphers and Nancy Loomis in every one of his films. Suffice it to say that in in this film they have very minor roles. They're not yeah. they're not necessarily in the it's in the film. It's disappointing. Too long. I mean, they both get killed off rather quickly and spoiler alert. Oh man. See not now you guys, I'm sorry. We spoiled the film for you. <laughs> uh, Wait, people die in this movie? <laughs> yes. It's not only it's not only a, it's an emotional assault. It, it, well, it's not only an assault. <laughs> there's there's straight up murdering going on. See, yeah. you think it's just a simple assault. It, it actually starts no. out with a police straight up murdering a bunch of random people. Yes, and let's go let's go there. So, we open up to um Anderson, California, which I don't even know if Anderson's a real city. Anderson, California, a Los Angeles ghetto as a subtitle says. Yes. <laughs> I did yes, it did. Nice, so nice. so we're in the ghetto and we see a bunch of uh, thugs, I guess. Uh, I don't even know what this is supposed to be. They're just running down a random corridor. Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. know what the I thought this was already the pre- the assault on Precinct 13 right off the bat, but apparently <laughs> yeah. it's just the police getting a bunch of guys in a hallway and then just gunning them yeah, down so, mercilessly. So let's talk about this. So first of all, you see just these thugs going down this hallway and they've got like, you know, AKs and they're and they're running down. We don't know what they're doing. We don't know what they're looking for. There's no explanation. And all of a sudden, you hear this like omnipotent police voice like, freeze! You know, and then you see like the cops like <laughs> standing like above them on the rooftops with like guns and they just mow these guys down. Like the guys don't point, the thugs don't point the weapons at yeah. the cops or anything. Anything. The time between them shouting freeze and opening fire is less than a second. Yeah. yeah. And so they, the th- you know, they gun them all down. And at this point, I'm thinking to myself, okay, is this going to be a movie that's about police brutality or something? Is that kind of the message of the film? Which, spoiler alert, not really. And let me say, after watching the remake, that really confused me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so you think it's going to be like this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's, 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 it. it's going to have this. It's going to have this message about like police brutality or excessive force and like all the cops are bad but that's really not the case with this film so it's it's got this very confused opening scene to me i thought this was setting up the assault because we'll get into the next scene but i thought these guys are dead and these guys are going to be avenged they're fellow gang members are going to assault Precinct 13 in a revenge effort, was my thought going into this. Well, that's that's roughly what happens. It's, well, it's really roughly, But it's though. more simple than that. Like, yeah. it's not even like, like the, you know... <clears throat> when they assaulted, they're not assaulting it for to get to the police. There's, no. They have a different target in mind, yeah. but we'll get there. Yeah. I, it's it's weird. It's It's... Yeah. Yeah. So its messaging is very confused. Is confused. So after this happens, you know, let alone that we don't know how the heck the cops knew the thugs were going to be in this random street and just you know in perfect position to gun them down. Forgiving that. That scene ends, and then we kind of hear this like radio message about how this uh, vicious gang group has gotten a, a hold of this cache of advanced weaponry, well, which and goes and nowhere. Well, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if that's what these deaths were involving. Maybe these guys were part of the team that stole the guns and they got killed, but the other half got away. I, Maybe. It's very... But they don't show yeah. the other half of no. that, so that's why it's so confusing. If but that's they the do case. have ass- assault weapons and whatnot. They so. do, yeah. Okay. <sighs> this The remake really screwed me up with watching the original. Let me start that out. I thought they were going to have it where the police were involved with 
handing out, distributing these illegal weapons to the, this gang, and they shot down these people to cover up their tracks. That's where I thought it was going, because in the remake, yeah. spoiler alert, there are a lot of corrupt cops, and that's part of the central plot there. So I thought, okay, they set up there are a bunch of weapons that they have no idea where they went or how they got to this into this gang's hands. The gang Street Thunder, which is like the ultimate band name, in my opinion. Street Thunder. <laughs> yeah, it is really. It does really sound sort of like an '80s hair, you know, band. Another street spoiler. Thunder, ladies and gentlemen, we are Street Thunder. <laughs> I don't know why they're <laughs> they're, they're from Australia. Yeah, from down yeah. Under. yeah well. <laughs> the, the Street Thunder from Down Under. <laughs> hey, that works. There you go. I like it. Yeah, but spoiler alert: there are no corrupt cops in this movie. Yeah, at least no. not we know of. No, there really isn't. And that's what There's really confuses me. Dumb cops, but but yeah, not, cor- not well, corrupt. Well, yeah, not necessarily corrupt. So we cut to the scene where like the radio's playing and the thugs have advanced weaponry. You know, they've and like you know, oh, if they use them, you know, we're screwed. You know, so we got a <laughs> the most yeah. reassuring police yeah. officer in the history. Yeah, of the yeah. police officer on the radio is announcing a, or talking about it. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about Fantastic. how they're all screwed. Like that's gonna calm the citizens of LA. Yeah. We lost one box of guns, and now we're screwed. <laughs> we're dead. <laughs> if, if they get out, we are we are done. And so we get there's a scene with these thugs. This is the weirdest scene I'm, I've seen in the. I'm assuming. I'm assuming that some of the we see some crates of guns, which I'm assuming are the advanced weapons that. Yeah. These are the guys who have them, obviously. And all all of a sudden they cut themselves and they bleed into this bowl. Yeah, I, there's I, some kind of like cult thing going I, on there. They, but. they talk about we need to do we need to do this for the six. I'm assuming like the six guys who just got killed. And I initially I thought they were just like gonna carve like a little six in their arm or something. But yeah. either way, it's really weird. But yeah, they cut themselves and drip blood into a bowl that comes up later, kind of really weirdly. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but it just doesn't make a whole no. lot of sense. I'm like, I don't... Okay, I'm not a gang expert, but I've never heard of that happening. Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard of the, yeah, let's pour some uh, mm-hmm. you know, liquor out for the homeboy, you know, yeah. like, whatever. Like, I'm kind of wondering if this is something he shot later after doing most of this movie to explain where the gang got the guns and to explain where that weird thing of blood came from that shows up later. Yeah. Because this is just a weird scene that fits nowhere in this movie. No, I mean, this is roughly setting up why, partially why they're like, the gang members are just completely going crazy towards the middle of this movie and have no regard for their own lives, I guess. They're basically zombies. Pretty much. Pretty much. It should be said, John Carpenter was, oddly enough, inspired by Night of the Living Dead when making this movie. Yeah, I think it shows. It, it really does show yeah, later once on. You, once you know that, it, it's quite apparent. Oh, I mean, yeah. The main character's a black man, and there's a bunch of, you know, pretty much faceless monsters yeah. that essentially trying to storm the building, and like it a, ends with a them... never-ending yeah. horde, basically. Yeah, and it ends with them seizing the entire upstairs and had to run downstairs yeah, yeah. to escape. That's basically Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, so we now cut to our main character of the film, Lieutenant Bishop, the black police officer. And we get and one thing about early Carpenter films is that Carpenter really loved filming every second of someone walking to their car, getting in their car, starting it, and driving <laughs> away. Like every second is documented. Well, they had to set up the him whistling that tune, so when it comes back later, it's just so much more profound. <laughs> Yeah, so 
he he gets in the car. Um, he he's in a. At first, I thought that they were too cheap to actually have an actual police car, which I think they were. Um, but they do actually say that he's in an unmarked car. Not necessarily for any reason. He's just in an unmarked car. But I think it was because they were too cheap to actually have actual police cars or something. I don't know. This was Carpenter's first major movie. Yeah, should be said. This movie got him Halloween. Mm, yeah, and I can see why actually, and, I, and we'll get yeah, to it. I mean, but there are scenes that play out like a horror movie in this. Oh, thing. for sure, and quite effectively. He's get, gets in the car. You know, he gets on his radio, and like his supervisor comes on and reassigns him and tells him that he has to go and supervise the closing of Precinct Thirteen because they're opening up a new precinct, Precinct um, Nine, Division Thirteen. Technically, yeah, oh. I was really confused by that. I was like, wait, wait, wait. The, the studio forced them to to name it Assault on Precinct Thirteen. Carpenter did not want to name it that, though. Oh, oh wow. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Because that's what I heard, too, was uh, Precinct 9, and I didn't hear any mention of 13 until, like, a little bit later. Yeah. But, but just for clarification, let's refer to it to pre- as Precinct 13. Yes, um, just please. To, just so we're all clear. <laughs> Yeah. Um, although, you know. We don't need any added confusion. Yeah. So um, he's assigned to go and o- over, you know, look things and make sure that there's this smooth shutdown of this precinct. So he he's on his way. So we got to this uh, criminal guy who's like a murderer. And <laughs> so, yeah, okay. And Che Guevara okay. hanging out. Okay. And, yeah. So. so that guy looks like Che Guevara to me. So <laughs> I'm just throwing this out there. You know, I have a... Uh, hardened like white dude who's a criminal murderer i don't know about you but when i think of a good name i'm thinking maybe i'm gonna name him like bob genghis khan is kind of what i'm thinking (laughs) and john carpenter was along my wavelength because the name of this character is napoleon wilson i believe talking about a different character no no we're talking about the debut of napoleon (laughs) wilson napoleon wilson how did he get that name? We never know. Yeah, they ask him how he gets the name Napoleon, and and I and I'm just thinking maybe he invaded Spain at some point in his life, <laughs> and that's why I I don't know. Yeah, so he's named Napoleon Wilson, which every time it's brought up, it just makes me laugh. He's always asking everyone if they've got a smoke. That's his thing. He 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 wants a cigarette really bad. His character is kind of this smooth, like ooh, cold, cool guy. You know, he's the cool bad guy. You know, he's real smooth and yeah. Now. At this point, I'm thinking this guy is a part of the Street Thunder gang. Because when we see these guys, and we, then we cut to this evil guy who's on death row and him being transferred, I'm thinking, well, this guy's going to call in his gang to break him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, not the case. No, he he is very much unrelated. It's just more of like circumstance that he's even involved in what happens here. And so... Basically, he's being transferred to another facility with a, a handful of other prisoners. And Charles Cyphers is there <laughs> as uh, one of the prison wardens that's going <clears> to <throat> supervise the transition. And so Napoleon and the rest of the prisoners, uh, it's, I'm going to laugh every time I say it. Just call him Nappy. Nappy. <laughs> 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 That's even worse. Um, <laughs> so he, he gets on the bus and they start heading out to this other facility, which is they have no plans to stop by Precinct 13 or anything. They're going to no. this other and, facility. Like, is it is it is he on death row? Is he being transferred yeah, somewhere I, I, to be killed, basically? basically? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you never... F- you don't really ever find out like what he does. You just you just the Charles Cyphers at some point asks him, you know, why he killed all those men. So you you don't really know why he did what he did or what he actually did. He's you just know that he's a bad guy basically. But yeah. he he never really comes off 
as that bad of a guy to a point in the movie. It's, it's really weird. Kind of likable. It's weird. Yeah, yeah no, it, he's, a, he's a likable, terrible person. Well, because it's of. it's clear that John Carpenter wants you to like this guy. Yeah. Like, and so he cannot make this guy a complete scumbag. So I think that's where it really comes in. So yeah, it is this weird thing that goes on where it's it like, okay, it, he's he he makes me kind of laugh in some scenes. I kind of like this guy, but I don't think I should. It's yeah, it, it's very confusing. So they get on the bus and then they're headed out to this uh, other precinct. Now we cut to a father and daughter uh, oh, in their oh in their okay. station wagon, um, and they're heading out to I guess pick up this nanny that's living in like the, the in, Anderson in ghetto, Anderson, yeah. and he wants to kind of take them back to where they live and stuff like that. Yeah, and, but there's this <laughs> weird there's this weird scene where when they're driving along where he gets a little lost. And the daughter says, well, why don't we ask them? And she points to, like, a cop car. And, like, he apparently really hates cops. And I don't know why this is even in the movie. I don't get it. <laughs> Again, uh, I thought he was part of Street Thunder. And <laughs> or, or, I just I don't, I didn't understand it. Like, and, and it's never explained why he has such a paranoia about the police. So, once again, I thought they were getting to this cops are crooked and, and bad type thing. Like, and that's where it was going. Again, that is not the case, but it's in there and it's apparent and the camera lingers on this for a while. So it's trying to make this point and drive it home, but it, I don't know, it's very muddled. So, and then at this, so we keep cutting. So we, we have that scene. And at this point, I realize that Carpenter is very obsessed with telling us the exact time. Every time we cut, like, 5.49 p.m., like, we cut back to freezing. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, like, we like, know the exact day, time, every scene is taking place. With the subtitles in the bottom of the screen, it shows, yeah. Yeah, yeah. every time we cut, it's like, the, he's. I don't know why he's so concerned. And, like, personally, okay, I like subtitles across the screen just to kind of give some clarification sometimes this is a little overdone it's like the opposite of battlefield earth because battlefield earth <laughs> never established time transitions and subtitles like to kind of tell how much time had passed would have really helped mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very basic way of filmmaking but it helps but here it's a little overdone i believe that carpenter said he did that because he wanted to give it a more documentary kind of feel okay which, which i yeah. can kind of see but but it's funny because that yeah. quickly goes away um, yeah uh, you know after about this point in the film that stops like it, very early we have it but once we're kind of in the precinct, in the precinct together yeah. there is no need for it anymore and so it's kind of useless but no it, it, it so i just kind of noticed that in the precise times and stuff but yeah good point and then um the bus gets diverted to precinct 13 and i'm what was the reason in the original i i forget why they decided <clears throat> one of the, to stop by one of the the prisoners was really ill oh is that what it was yeah, like yeah. before they oh, left okay. the the warden's just like oh he's got a cold but he ends up hacking his lungs out in the bus okay. and he's sweating so they're like all right we need to pull over make sure he's not contagious all that yeah. stuff okay yeah so they because <laughs> god forbid napoleon be a little sick well, when he dies <laughs> well this is the funny thing death row inmates be sick <laughs> this is that... the funny thing uh about this is that i would imagine that the other like precinct that's probably a little bit better is not that far away and yet they insisted stopping at this broken down precinct which i think is even worse in the remake but i'll get to that yeah because there's a specific line in there that i really need to talk about in that scene but at this point um we 
we get there. Bishop has been there for a while. We're getting a little bit of backstory on Bishop. I kind of like kind Bishop. Of, yeah, kind of who he is, and yeah. and uh, he's very different. He's a very self-reliant person. He's kind of he's been born and raised in Anderson, and there's kind of a scene where one of the secretaries is like, "Man, it's good you got out of here as early as you could," and he's kind of like, "Well, no, I've." been here you know I, but then i worked my way out when i was like 20 or whatever yeah like so he really kind of went against the grain of the gang society and mm -hmm. survived that and got out and is coming back to try to do some good in his own town so again a very admirable guy very likable guy there's nothing there that you know is even remotely bad it's like okay i dig this guy yeah. well you can tell that he's a he's a good guy with like good morals and that come definitely comes up later in the movie one thing that is weird <laughs> is when he's talking to this to that secretary and they're kind of you know packing things up in that room like he he has been here his whole life like his, he talks about how his father brought him to the police station because he did something bad when he was younger and while he was there he carved something into the top of this desk and they he finds that in this room but it never shows what, what he wrote. actually wrote and yeah. the secretary looks at it and comments it on it too and she's like oh you're pretty advanced you were pretty advanced for a young kid or something like that never shows what it is though <laughs> yeah and i'm assuming it's probably like he like you know f you or something into the desk <laughs> I, i'm assuming like that's what it was like he was an angry kid or something like that yeah, i I'm, don't know i don't know i was confused by that i just uh, thought that was kind of funny that it never came up i figured that was a setup for later yeah, on like that the was gonna pop up. yeah yeah then they'd look at it like that reminds me let's go and do yeah yeah, yeah. something so yeah, they never show it, and I, I'm assuming they never show it again because they don't want you to not like this guy, like to think, you know, it, they kind of leave it up to you. Like, they censor it so that you get a, it's a softer view of who this guy is. Yeah. I really think Carpenter was really going for the likability factor of these characters because, as we're going to get to, the gang members do something that actually... The, That's, this it scene, shocked me. I did not see this I didn't coming. Expect it at all. This is one of the most shocking scenes I've seen in movie history. I've seen a lot yeah. of horror movies, and I am I am telling you, if you are sensitive to violence of any kind, do not watch this yeah. film because, because they the don't edit a, around it. They do not they edit it. They show this. They mm -hmm. show and it is absolutely shocking. I have seen people get ripped apart in films. I've seen all that stuff. It pales in comparison to this and it's to me it's brilliant <clears throat> filmmaking in a fashion because it's simple yeah. but it's so effective. He broke the one rule in these movies. Yes. Yeah, that you there are certain characters you do not harm. Yeah. And so it it really did it, it, it set up a whole multitude of things. So I'm going to get into this. So we have this scene, and it starts out kind of funny, where we have these you know Street Thunder gang members. They're rolling around in this car. The same guys who cut themselves this, Yes, the exact same guys who cut themselves. <laughs> and it looks like they're like trying to just go out and like just shoot random people kind of thing. You know, like they but roll they down the window. they never actually do. Yeah, they never do. And then they start harassing this ice cream truck driver. <laughs> what is he doing in this part of the city? Yeah, I, I, I don't know why he's in the ghettos like just trying to sell ice cream apparently but well, he's, he's not ever on. driving around he's just sitting there but his music is on yeah like okay. he's, got, he's, he's got he's got the he's music trying on. to attract people so you know so he's got the music on and like apparently the street gangs hate ice cream trucks because <laughs> <laughs> they keep like circling well, around this if guy you had one parked outside your house all day like this guy's been doing <laughs> that's, that's true that music could get quite annoying yeah uh drive anyone mad so 
<laughs> they they kind of harass this guy. And but they never take his money. So it's really unclear why they're harassing this guy. Yeah. So the girl uh, and her father are, are kind of lost. So he pulls over to a phone booth to make a <laughs> phone call. And so she sees the ice cream truck and she's like, ooh, can I get money for ice cream? So he gives, you know, father here, here's, you know, a quarter to get an ice cream cone. So she runs down and she gets uh, a cone. Um, she wanted a vanilla twist. And so <laughs> the guy gives it to her, even though he says I'm closed or yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's like distracted because he's watching these guys guys like go back and forth in their vehicle or whatever <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason yeah. yeah and so she gets it she starts walking back to her father and at this point one of the gang members shows up out of nowhere yeah just walks right up next to the door and starts like you know harassing this guy and the girl looks at her ice cream cone and says hey this is just vanilla you know so she turns around and comes back and oh yeah we get to one of the to me it will be etched in my mind as one of the most disturbing scenes I've seen and you know there's all these talks about how violence desensitizes people <laughs> this <laughs> do, I'm not desensitized <clears throat> to violence apparently and I've seen a lot uh, I had to pause the movie after this and just I, a minute just like what just happened mm-hmm. it it really it impacted me and so yeah this is going exactly where you all think it's going so the girl just <laughs> walks up and says you know like something like oh you got my cone mixed up and the, the gang member doesn't even hesitate turns to her and shoots her right in the chest and it shows the blood splatter like she gets hit it shows the so impact it, sh- it shoots she he shoots her through her ice cream cone yeah and, the, and he's not even looking at her no. he just he just turns he and just, just turns the blows gun and her, shoots away. her right in the chest and it shows her the blood splatter and her crumpled to the ground and it was shocking like i have never seen that in a film before and this no. is 1976, this is, yeah. mind you. Let's. This is. If it's shocking to me now, it must have been absolutely shocking back then. Yeah, I have no idea how this got in the movie. Yeah. Th- this. I mean. Wow. Like it. It was. Yeah. As, it, it was, as you can tell, we're still kind of impacted by yeah. this. No, the thing is. I know we're all saying we're shocked, but I don't want to say I like this scene, but I, I have no problem with it being in the movie. It's a good scene to set up how bad these guys yeah, are. Yeah. I'm not complaining about this scene, uh, for the record, either. I, I think that this scene does a lot of good, and I will say this to John Carpenter, I admire his guts mm-hmm. for putting this scene in the movie. Some people will go, oh, this is inappropriate. No, I don't think so, because you know the movie talks about how deplorable this gang is, you don't know how deplorable they are until they do this. Well, and that's that's the whole point. That's why I really liked this scene because initially the the gang members are just driving around. There, one of the guys has like a basically some sort of assault rifle and with a scope on it, and he's getting people in his sights, not ever doing anything. So you think initially, other than them cutting themselves, which is crazy, you think initially that they're just being silly and being stupid and and driving around just harassing people and even when they he pulls up to the uh when he walks up to the ice cream truck he starts harassing the guy you know he roughs him up a little bit you think he's gonna shoot him because he like sticks a gun in his mouth he doesn't shoot him he just hits him in the face or whatever and you think okay so he they're just messing with this guy they're probably gonna take his money and leave well so he's carpenter it's kind of awesome because he kind of sets you up to be in this okay everybody's gonna be okay in this scene they're just gonna get roughed up a little bit then walks in the girl who gets shot immediately and then he just turns and shoots the ice cream man on the ground as well so it's like your your build up build up build up release comfort holy crap yeah i really like that scene it was yeah. crazy there's yeah. very few directors these days that will have that kind of that that kind of guts i mean that yeah. 
is crazy. And I think maybe part of it too is that this was back in the day where there were a lot of smaller studios that I think were willing to take bigger risks. I think now in, in, in today's movie world where it's just like three or four major studios that own everything, you're not going to get that kind of, you know, film anymore. It, it, it's very <laughs> rare these days unless, you know, you, you go maybe to YouTube and watch like, you know, one of the amateur film kind of things. Maybe that's kind of the new small studio of the day, but you're not going to get that anymore. No. Well, and, and that's, that's, a, I didn't, re- when, when the cr- title credits came up for this movie, I didn't, I knew no one in this movie. I'd never heard of any of them yeah. except yeah. for Nancy Loomis and Charles yeah. Cyphers, but uh, go ahead. Yeah. I knew the, the main character from, of all movies, Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you keep bringing Planet of the Apes into these podcasts. At least I do. That, that uh, never goes away. <laughs> when we get to that podcast, I'm going to be talking for like five hours straight. Uh, but uh, well, and I yeah. think it's I think it's good to note that the little girl who who does get killed is the same little girl from like Escape from Witch Mountain, the Witch Mountain movies hmm. back in the okay. okay. So uh, she's uh, I recognized her. But this before or after she was in those movies? I, I don't know. I didn't it, look that up. If this up, was but... after, imagine how shocking this would have been. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably before because yeah. I think she's younger in this movie than yeah. she is. And in I the personally, and, then, uh, and I think the other thing that makes the scene so shocking is that the girl, the, the child actor, is pretty likable in yeah. this yeah. you know she's spunky she's kind of got some attitude she's very likable i was expecting the dad to get killed and her to wind up in the police station yeah it's the other way around it, though. it is and we'll kind of get to that here so I mean, after this weird death wish kind of so, scene that happened yeah. so yeah after. so the 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 father sees the daughter dead he runs up to her he's in shock and the ice cream man is actually still you know clinging to life he's about to die but before he does he tells the the father that he has a gun in the car um, (laughs) for for him to to use so he runs in the ice cream truck he grabs the gun and he takes off after these thugs so it's a straight up death wish Mm -hmm. and (laughs) so that's how i think a lot of people would react a lot of parents would react blind rage i need to find these guys and kill them yeah Mm -hmm. the question i have is should the father have killed the guy who killed his daughter this quickly. Well, and here we go. So we get we get to the scene where the father, you know, he tra- he he follows the thugs. They kind of have a standoff, and he the father opens fire on this guy and basically guns him down. Like I mean, there's it's not yeah you know even the, a big deal. The I mean, guy who kills his little girl is not the main bad guy, yeah. which is shocking to me. Why would you set him up to be this evil if you're just gonna kill him off five mm-hmm. minutes later? Mm-hmm. So he runs right after this. He shoots the one guy down, and he runs. And there's two other guys in the car that kind of start following him. And he conveniently finds Precinct 13, and he runs into Precinct 13. And he's so much in shock that he really can't talk. Like, they're trying yeah. to get stuff out of him, but he, they don't know what he's in there for, why he's so shocked. And this is the very one of the first scenes where it is kind of filmed like a horror movie, where you see these dark shapes coming out of the shadows, just like a hundred of them coming out to chase this guy down into the station it's actually kind of a scary scene there's a lot of tension here and he there's gets no it. music either which yeah. makes it even better yeah no it, it's it's very well done so he gets there and the thugs start surrounding this precinct and they're kind of in the police station they're kind of oblivious at this point that that's actually really happening so we can see it as the audience but the people inside don't all of a sudden the power goes out and um i forget if i don't think they say the thugs cut it in the original in this original film i think isn't I think it's just like the power went out earlier than they thought yeah. it would. Well, I, I, I don't think that the power doesn't go out. I think just the phones go out. Oh, is that what it yeah, was? Yeah, like um, 
because they're yeah, they're that. talking about earlier in the movie how the the phone company. I mean, they're shutting everything down because this precinct is moving. Yeah. So they're talking about how the phone company, like tomorrow at 10 a.m., is gonna yeah. cut off the phones. And so when the phones get cut, they just think that they got turned off early. Yeah. They, they still don't know anything is actually going on. They leave it kind of ambiguous. Rather, it could be the gang. It could so, be a mistake. And yeah. So f- I think first the phones go out, and then the actual power does eventually go out here. It's at this point, obviously, you know, something's going on. They're not sure. One of the cops goes outside to check, and he gets mowed down by mm-hmm. silenced weapons. Yeah, so they and, don't know. And Nancy Loomis laughs at him. Yes. Because <laughs> she says, oh, he fell down. Which is one of the most unrealistic reactions. <laughs> it's just stupid. <laughs> I think I've ever seen. Like, you see some, like, cop fall down. You're like, ha, 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 ha. She's oh, literally belly uh, laughing at him. Oh, man. That that wacky, you know, Bill down there. He, just, he likes <laughs> to fall down. Uh, so, yeah. And, she, and Nancy Loomis, I should say, she plays a secretary. In, in this one she's like one of the secretaries in the police office there's a couple of them um that are there still and it's really just the uh, a couple cops besides bishop that are in there you got charles cyphers that's there um you got a handful of criminals and then you've got a couple secretaries uh, basically that's it and so we get our first cop mowed down outside there and you know they bishop quickly goes out to check and he he amazingly doesn't get gunned down uh, there's mm-hmm. a few f- shots fired at him, but he does his ninja moves and gets right back into the precinct. <laughs> yeah, he uses but his like, main character powers to avoid getting shot. Yes, he does. And so he, he comes back in, and, and, and you know, all of a sudden he tells everyone, oh, you know, something's going down. And so cops start getting mowed down, like, by the bus. I think this is where Charles Cyphers bites it um, out by the bus because they're still kind of out there. Yeah. Um, and, and so we cut to kind of a scene where basically the, the precinct gets hammered with rounds for about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. The scene was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I've never seen there were so many effects shots set up for this one yeah. of papers like kind of being exploded and I think the phone gets hit at one point yeah, and the, the squib budget must have been through the roof it on was this movie awesome. <laughs> you know it was really well done I, I it was actually you know you I think some people might kind of tone out, especially some of the, the, the ladies who may be listening to this podcast and going, oh, wow, gunfire for 10 minutes. But actually, it's actually really entertaining. Uh, it's it's actually kind of fun to watch. And it actually really sets up just how not only how well-armed these guys are, but what lengths they're willing to go to. Because I don't even think they know whether or not this precinct is getting shut down. I think for all they know, this could be, you know, yeah, they, an active I precinct. I don't think they have any idea. Yeah, yeah. so they're hammering the, ra- the, the precinct for a good 10 minutes and this freaks nancy loomis's character out and so after they get done hammering it there's kind of this scene where nancy loomis suggests that they kind of throw the father out to the wolves because it's obvious that's who they want that's why they're here because you know he after he came in all of a sudden they just happen to surround the place and start you know opening fire and and i'm like oh wow stay classy there let's (laughs) let's just throw this innocent guy out there you're supposed to like you know protect the innocent you've always got to have that one character in these movies though yeah and it does set up bishop to kind of be the you know a boy scout hero and kind of be like no we're to protect and serve kind of moment you know and 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 kind of lets him shine in that in that uh, moment and so and so they're all kind of freaking out at this point and trying to figure it out and bishop decides at this point he's going to free the prisoners and arm them to try to help well and i think it's good to know like i think right before this when they before they start opening fire the prisoners i think are leaving like they're going to get back on the bus and leave or something like that because they're outside and the sick prisoner gets gunned down both of the cops that are with him get gunned down but yeah so now they're they're out of their they're out of their yeah. cells the only one to survive would be uh napoleon, napoleon wilson and, and tony burton's character 
and yeah, and Tony Burton is in this movie, yeah. and and I and I recognize him. I'm like, hey, dude, Apollo Creed's manager <laughs> from the Rocky movies, man. <laughs> like, I was like, that's awesome. But yeah, so they so they get armed, and there's a there's this shootout that happens, and and you've got a lot of tension happening in this scene because this is kind of when the thugs start breaking through the windows and coming in, and it, this is where you get the Night of the Living Dead. This is yeah. where the zombie, zombie thing comes in hardcore. Feel. And and they're trying to repel these forces, and there's this uh, scene where Napoleon <laughs> runs out of ammo, <laughs> and uh, there was a scene earlier set up where one of the police captains like put like a couple of shotguns in this box, and so which further confused me after seeing the remake. Like he, these are clearly assault weapons that he's going to be shipping to the gang members. <laughs> so <laughs> so he so there's a scene where he's trying to repel these guys from busting down one of the doors and getting in and bishop finally breaks open the case and throws him a shotgun and then we could see napoleon just basically let loose and just you know mow like this 50 guys is, down this scene is just so much fun it's a lot of fun <laughs> it really is in action movies these days we do not get enough of this i think there's just a lot of fun here and they you know you can tell the actors are having a lot of fun on the set doing this and you know they're it was actually a fairly realistic movie actually because one scene i noticed with napoleon is that he runs out of shotgun rounds like it's not just a limited ammo and you see him kind of run away for a second and then he comes back like he reloaded kind of thing yeah like he had to go find more rounds like there's a little bit more realism here that like guy in action movies where it seems like they have unlimited ammo yeah and i gotta say this so surprised me because john carpenter i i know him for his horror movies not for his action but he is a great action director he really is he really did a lot of good in this scene he mixed a lot of horror with action in this and it works really really well and after this and it that after this round of shootouts happened and they repel these guys and nancy loomis's character bites it she's dead yeah um she dies in the shootout and Karma. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. see, you, you, you wanted to let the guy out to the wolves, see what you get? So um, the door is kind of uh, busted, you know, kind of here and there with the shotgun rounds because he shot through the door. So they block it with the power of product placement with the Coca-Cola machine. Mm-hmm. Got to pay for this movie somehow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and and then once again, they all kind of go around and say, how many rounds does everyone have? You know, and, and they're all running low on ammo. So they're like, okay, well, they're going to push for a final assault here. You know, they're going to come for us. I was surprised how, while I was watching this movie, I kept... I paused it a couple times and I was like, dude, there's like 15 minutes left of this movie. Like, what are they going to do? Like, it was, yeah. it's, it's a very short movie. It's about an hour and a half, but you feel like it could have been a little bit longer. I, I was just wondering where they were going to go with the end of this movie. Yeah, so uh, Napoleon yeah. finally gets his smoke at this point, I should say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, him, yeah. him and the uh, the, sec- the secretary that is actually still living, they got a little thing going on. It, it's a, a yeah, it's implied there's going to be something happening here, although the way the movie ends... I- Apparently not. I kind of thought that those two knew each other beforehand because when Napoleon shows up, she walks through the cells and they give each other this look. I think it's just an immediate. Uh, yeah, that's what they were going for. Like, hey, I hey, don't know, hey. but you know, you but, know, she likes bad boys. But you see later on <laughs> that she can handle herself in a gunfight. She gets shot in the arm and doesn't even flinch, and she's mowing down people. She's. Yeah, John Carpenter. I thought she was involved John, with this And this guy. is one thing about John Carpenter that he always tries to do in his movies, and I and I I really appreciate it. He really sets up realistic, tough women in, in a lot of his films. He he's not for like making every woman just another victim. And back then, especially, it was very common to do so. Even today, it, you know, it seems like that's fairly common. Yeah, this this uh, actress that played that secretary reminded me a lot of the character in uh, They Live. Oh yeah. Uh, almost that she almost looked like her too <laughs> quite a bit yeah yeah so no i i think 
she really didn't do much after this. She was only no. in like three or four movies, yeah. which kind is surprising. Like kind of a shame because I, I liked her in this. Yeah, in she this was likable. Yeah. So Napoleon gets his smoke, and and then we cut <laughs> to these cops, these stupid cops. <laughs> and who? It should be said the gang is covering their tracks this entire time, so that no one would know to come to this precinct. Yeah, they clean up all the bodies after the rays that are laying outside. They move their cars back, so it looks like they're just kind of hanging out. Like, well, yes. And initially, they they roll some cars out of a parking lot to like block off the streets yeah. or something like that for for what purpose i'm not really sure just so yeah. no one shows up yeah but now that the guys in the the precinct house have are using unsilenced weapons now gunfire can be heard for miles around so now the cops know that there's gunfire going on yeah somewhere so, like apparently yeah. there's a lot of the, the it's, a, it's a it's established earlier in the movie that a lot of the surrounding uh houses and whatnot are boarded up vacated closed so nobody's there there's like some houses kind of a block or two down yeah so that's kind of where the explanation comes of why nobody is like coming immediately to help them once the gunfire starts yeah so they they, we get these cops and they don't know where the gunfire exactly is and like and they make the point that they (laughs) have searched every street except for the one where the where the precinct is which makes you wonder why do these guys even need to cover their tracks then (laughs) yeah and the sidekick in the car you know says to the other cop like maybe we should check that street and the guy's like nah we don't need to but that's where precinct 13 uh, is yeah he like makes it just because the precinct there you don't need to check it but every other street you've checked is fine except for that one yeah you do might you not check that put one. the pieces together and they almost should have had a scene where they roll by but they don't see anything yeah yeah Which and i think they kind of sort of do that kind of comes up later yeah, but, but they need that scene earlier yeah yeah very much i don't know obviously i like how this one this movie explains how no one knows or hears what's going on a lot better because it's actually explained why no and plus it's 1976 so no one has cell phones yeah it makes a lot more sense than the the uh, remake so yeah there's no assault helicopters coming oh, in here yeah <laughs> so we we cut back to the precinct and they're kind of saying okay well we need someone to go and try to get help for us and so um they're like okay it comes down to basically napoleon <laughs> i believe it's between napoleon and um tony burton tony burton <laughs> yeah who knows the character he's he's yeah, tony he's tony burton so <laughs> and they mentioned flipping a coin they play this game called potatoes which i guess <laughs> Maybe I maybe I'm just too young for this. Maybe it was a craze back in the seventies, but it's almost like bubblegum bubblegum yeah, in a dish. It's really stupid. <laughs> like it looks so dumb. And I'm like, but they're clearly having fun with the scene. They though. are, but it's just so out of place and wacky. <clears throat> and, and, and Tony Burton's response to losing is just great. Oh, I knew I'd lose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's he's like this ultimate pessimist. I always lose. Well, yeah. how do you think I ended up in here? You know, kind of thing. Yeah. I really like Tony Burton. If only it wasn't so obvious he's about to die <laughs> yeah so he, you know tony burton has to be the one to go in through the sewer and he you know tries to make it out to a car and they so he makes it to the car and they're kind of watching him and he gets in the car and, and starts driving and he starts driving and all of a sudden a random thug pops up from the back seat apparently he's been napping in there the yeah. entire time and shoots him and kills him why did he uh, wait till he was driving to do that and, but why was he in the car in the yeah. laying in the back well, in the first place because tony burton his character has to unlock the car to get in yeah. like he, yeah. he jimmies the lock and then he yeah the reason why it's down between napoleon and tony burton is because they're, they're the only ones who can hotwire yeah. a car yeah so it had to be one of them yeah why 
why the why the criminal is in the back seat? Yeah. Why he? I mean, I mean, did they have for, someone in every back seat just in case they <laughs> were to do that? Yeah, it's very elaborate. Obviously, for the movie's value of uh, suspense and whatnot, obviously that's why they wait for him to start driving before he gets shot. Yeah. But it's just it's that's this is like one of the only uh, surprisingly this is like one of the only parts of the movie that I was like really yeah Come on. Yeah, yeah kind of a contrived yeah. I was like how long was he laying back there? Yeah. The thing is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> would this movie have been any different if Tony Burton had gotten away and alerted the cops? No, because it it, no. it happens roughly five minutes after that anyway, yeah. pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It was just an excuse to get him out of there, so there's more suspense with fewer characters yeah. at the yeah. end yeah. there. At this point, there's only the three of three of them left. There's the father, there's the oh, secretary, yeah. there's uh, Napoleon, Napoleon and, and Bishop. Bishop. That father just disappears throughout most of this movie. Yeah. I'm surprised. And He's just laying down in a room. He still has not spoken throughout this much, entire much like yeah. Night of the Living Dead we have a catatonic character and who I, just sits around yeah. for the entire movie and I, and I wrote down like I actually wrote down at this point I just remember the father of the dead girl is still alive like yeah. <laughs> you know because like it, you really forget like he is completely gone for like mm-hmm. the middle like 40 minutes of this film well, yeah the driving force there. behind the bad guys is still around <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so they 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 say well there's uh, they're gonna come for us and they're gonna you know we need to make Make a last stand somehow and hope the help arrives in time. Uh, we got to make it till daylight, basically, is what what they're saying. Yeah. So yeah. they Bishop finds like in the evidence room like this old like you know hydrogen canister or whatever this explosive yeah. and uh, a bunch of flares canister and a bunch of flares. And so they go down to the basement and they all kind of hole up at one end of the basement and um, they set the flares up so he'll shoot the f- so Bishop would shoot the flares with a rifle and it would blow the canister up and it would take out like everyone that comes down there. Yeah. And this is this gang that went to so extreme lengths to avoid detection and not let anyone know what where, what's going on. For some reason, set the building Sets on the fire. the building on fire. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they just, just set the whole thing ablaze. And so, but we're not seeing it from their perspective, obviously. We're seeing it from Bishop's perspective. And so you can kind of see the flames and like the smoke mm-hmm. start wafting down and you can hear it getting louder and the people coming closer. It really builds suspense. And so... Um, their, but their plan is is that, <laughs> and this is very cartoony, is because Bishop even or Napoleon brings up to Bishop like, well, you're gonna shoot the canisters, but what's gonna protect us from the blast? And they're like, well, we'll hold up this metal sheet and we'll duck behind it, and <laughs> well, that'll save this us. This metal sign. Yeah. Well, and 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 yeah, the building's on fire and everyone's running down there, and it's and like, where did all their weapons go? Yeah, because they all of a sudden now have nothing. Yeah, they don't. So none of the thugs have anything, and so they basically there's a scene where they Bishop and Napoleon have the sign up and the thugs are coming up against it trying to hit him with like yeah. sticks and sticks like they're and, hitting like, them back bars, and, yeah. and like they're <laughs> knocking them down and then they get back to a point and then Bishop is there with the, with the rifle. He, and only, he, he only has three bullets. He only has three bullets. He misses the first two times because there's just too much smoke in the way and he makes a blind shot and of course the yeah. third time is the charm. <clears throat> And it blows up, you know, the entire hallway. Everyone goes down. And just then, conveniently, backup arrives. The cops arrive after everyone is dead. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, Bishop and Napoleon, the secretary and the father, all make it out alive at this point. And that's well, pretty much the end. It's pretty yeah, much like, the end. Like, it, when, when they made their, like, second-to-last assault on the precinct, that's when I, like, paused the movie and I was like, dude, there's, like, 15 minutes left. What, what are they going to do here? And that's when they went down in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so like the two bumbling cops show back up and like blood gets dripped on their vehicle and that's that's how all of a sudden all the other cops yeah. come because they let them know what's going they on. They see the other 
electrician's whatever. been killed. Yeah. Which yeah. has been a, a subplot we haven't mentioned. There was yep. a missing electrician for some reason. They... The thrilling missing electrician subplot. Yeah. 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 yeah so basically, that's kind of how it ends. It ends with um, Bishop looking at Napoleon saying, you know, it, it, it would be an honor if you'd walk up there with me. Now and... let's get you back to death row, buddy. Yeah, yeah basically. Let's, let's walk you back up there. And so then they, <laughs> they walk up there and that's the end of it. And so before we go into our thoughts necessarily on that film, I think we'll save it for our final verdict. Let's get right into the remake. Let's, let's do, do we it. have to? Yeah, we do. So I'm just going to say that this was directed by a French director, and I'm, I don't know, Jean-Francois Richet, I think is how you pronounce his name. Sure. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll go with that. This is the only film of note that he's ever done before this <laughs> film and after this film. Nothing of note. Um, and his record is very sparse as a director, even with the films he has done. So it, I, I don't know the story. I don't know if you guys know how the heck he no. got this film. No. It's um, pretty similar to the Battlefield Earth well, director to a point. Well, it's, it's, it's similar. <laughs> this is similar even to The Fog, yeah. where you have a no-namer director get the remake of a John Carpenter flick. Yep. It, it's it's almost the exact same <laughs> scenario. A, a hip-hop video director? In the first one, yeah. yeah, in The Fog. And now we get this... <laughs> French director who apparently hasn't done much of anything in his life. How a major studio reached out to this guy and say, we want you to remake a John Carpenter movie is beyond well, and, and Apparently <clears throat> everyone else read the script before signing on. <laughs> apparently. Yeah. I mean, this cast, this cast is a is a is a good cast. Yeah, so uh, we'll go to let's a go, point. Let's go to the at least ca- on paper, it's a good yeah. cast. Well, the, the main <laughs> characters seem to be you know strong. So you got Ethan Hawke, who I respect as an actor. He's not yeah. necessarily my favorite. I call him the poor man's Tom Cruise personally. <laughs> Um, That's a low blow, sir. <laughs> I like Tom Cruise. I really, really do. Ethan Hawke is there. We've got Lawrence Fishburne playing Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. Um, Brian that's... Dennehy. Again, playing another cop. Yes, Brian Dennehy. Yes. We have Gabriel yes. Byrne playing another cop. cop. Yeah. I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah. Didn't Ethan Hawke play a cop not too long ago? Training mm-hmm. day. Training uh, day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which... Kind of makes me wonder, why didn't they get Denzel for the lead character in this if you're going to get a, tra- a Training Day actor in here? <laughs> I don't think... Is Lawrence Fishburne the poor man's Denzel, I guess, maybe? I don't know. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Although I like Lawrence Fishburne. I do, too. I, I dig him. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in his own boat, I This think. was his yeah. first movie after the Matrix Revolutions. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, okay. But you're right, though, James, yeah. saying that he's just he's playing Lawrence Fishburne. Because yeah. he's totally he's just playing Lawrence thing. Fishburne. Yeah. yeah. Like, he, he just is that. So, <laughs> Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, no. I, like I said, I like Lawrence Fishburne. So Ethan Hawke plays uh, cop Sergeant Jake Roenick. <sighs> so we open up to a scene of Ethan Hawke and what he does on his weekends. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, he's, he's, there's this undercover like, drug bust that's going on, and he's like playing this whacked out, drugged up dude. This just, scene confused me. Just these random like cuts and edits between like Ethan Hawke like doing like this I'm a high uh, as a kite act. I thought I was watching the wrong movie when I turned this on. And the camera's just on Ethan Hawke, and he's just doing this act, and it's supposed to be I I know it's supposed to be funny, but I'm just sitting there looking at it like, okay, this is bizarre. What am I walking into? Especially after watching the original assault on Precinct 13. This is really strange. A long story short, the Ugh. undercover drug bust goes wrong. There's this big shootout between oh, Ethan Hawke's team and the drug dealers. Ethan Hawke's partners get shot and killed. He's the only one who survives. He gets wounded in the in the leg, I believe, mm-hmm. or something. And yeah. so 
there's this really uh, just annoying editing, shaky cam, weird camera angles. It's just really strange this whole opening scene so he goes down and he's calling for backup and then you got the assault on precinct 13 logo come up and then we cut to eight months later eight months after the credits apparently (laughs) yeah to detroit of all places yes and so the original was in california this one is in detroit in the middle of winter on new year's eve Eve. very different and like there's a big snowstorm coming down which is kind of a big part of this film you know this this remake is probably one of like the loosely based on like remakes i've ever seen like based on their yeah. original did, my big question is did stuff. this have to be a remake of assault on precinct 13 no because there's yeah. so, nothing because so much that's not similar you to have to back movie. it up to its own like very very like base structure to to actually have it be similar because basically the only thing that's say, the same is a group of people assault a police precinct and the people that's, inside that's have to survive. Down. Yeah, that's that's, like that's the basis. All the details are completely different. Completely and different. There's no characters that are of the same name except one, but they switched the role. So, mm-hmm. and and we'll get into that. So, um, why would? How so, hard is it just to scratch out some names and replace them with the original names in the? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't get it. Uh, th- this was very, very weird. Yeah, this is odd. So we cut to you know it's eight months later and we see you know um, Sergeant Ronick, Ethan Hawke's character. He has a Semper Fi tattoo on his back, which I guess is supposed to establish why he can hold a hold off a siege in a police precinct. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the only reason they show this. Um, yeah, I don't to try know. to get some believability in there because this movie's all about believability and so he's going into the precinct he's not like a reassigned there or anything this is just a precinct that he's worked at that's shutting down Uh, and it's going to shut down on january 1st and so they're just kind of cleaning her out and we have this i'm gonna i i I try i'm gonna try to censor myself here (laughs) this skank police secretary who Just wants to sleep with everything that she can, apparently. Dread a Mateo. Uh, I'm just like, I'm shaking my head at this character. She's in these, like, fishnet stockings, and she's just like, it's just yeah. it's over the top, like, what in the world? This was a weird scene, but she has a really weird, an even weirder scene later with Lawrence Fishburne that I'm sure we'll bring up. Yeah, so... And New Year's is her favorite holiday, for some reason. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. New Year's is my favorite <laughs> holiday. That's like, I've never heard a person in my life say that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so we get, so we establish that the police station is shutting down at midnight. Now we cut to, to a our, church. An obligatory church scene, of course. Yeah, because back back in this day, they ha- you have to go for your godfather thugs in a church scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> see, it's ironic, because he's, he's a killer, you see. Yeah, and he's in church. Yeah, see? yeah. But yeah. you see, yeah. here's a twist, though. He lost his faith, though. Yeah. Because he yeah. killed a bunch of people, which yeah. makes... Not a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so it's so <laughs> strange the scene, but it op- so we get to Lawrence Fishburne who plays Bishop, not the same Bishop. They just change like it's just he. They use the name Bishop from the police officer in the original and decide and to call him that. Yeah. I, I'm. I've got to ask this question. Is it because he's the only black? Uh, I was just gonna I, say that. I was gonna go there. Actually, I was thinking Character. like. 
Like, well, I mean, uh, well, Ja Rule does show up later, but <laughs> he has a better name. He, yeah, he's a Tony Burden character, essentially. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Oh, man, I hope not. That's uh, no, I think the that's bad. The girl prisoner plays the Tony Burton character. <laughs> kind of, it's weird. Um, so <laughs> we so we have this scene, and as Ben says, you know, he's Lawrence Fishburne has the like the Bible open, but he's got like a newspaper folded in there, and he's like doing a crossword. That's kind of his thing. Bishop likes to do crosswords. I guess it's supposed to set up that he's like a smart criminal or something. <laughs> I think that's where they're going. I think you're right. Like, I, I, I'm trying to connect the dots here. You know, so we get the scene where he's like, as Ben said, he, he's like, um, like the guy says, I, did, I wouldn't think you'd want to meet in a church or something like that. And he's like, well, I, you know, or, you know, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't think you're like a man of God or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I lost my faith because all my victims would scream to God for help, and he never helped them, so I don't believe in God. It's, like, so lame. It's <laughs> so bad. I, I'm just like, really, really? I mean, and they kind of dance around the fact that he's the one who murdered these people. Yes, yes. How, I mean, you lost your faith because you murdered a bunch of people? Like, like... <laughs> You had you so you had faith, but you're a killer. What? I'm sorry, man. I I I am a man of faith, and I'm 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 I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Like, no, no, no. I kill people, but I believed in God. Like, totally, man. Like, I'm straight up murdering innocents. But dude, I believed in them until God didn't help them when they called out to him. But yeah, strange. But moving on. So, so the guy that he meets up with in the church tries to stick him up. Like, oh game over now, are you supposed to know that this guy's a cop at this point we quickly find out that he is but i don't know if we're supposed to i was confused i so, kind of wonder if we were supposed to think there's an undercover sting operation yeah or something going on like like they were trying to reflect kind of the earlier ethan hawk scene maybe shades of ethan mm. hawk yeah um but they you know so basically they try to he, they try to screw bishop in some way but it's ambiguous at this point as to what's going on and he basically straight up murders this dude like stabs him right in the neck like in the middle in of church. In, in this church <laughs> service and okay they may be in the back row but someone's going to look like someone's going to turn around and go what the heck is going on back there but no one does everyone's blind to it and so so they have this big shootout i guess it's all shaky cam it's yeah, kind of hard to tell if there's a shootout or not so they start <laughs> shooting out they start shooting up the church which again stay classy mm-hmm. uh you know just gunfire in the church well, and see it's ironic though yeah, and so so basically, you know, then it gets revealed that the co- these are cops that he's basically shooting out with because they arrest him. They they corner him and they they arrest Bishop and so they yeah. bring him in. So we go to this character as Bishop is being like he's with his lawyer in this, you know, in the interrogation room. Marcus Duvall is the character who is played by I I I can't remember his name, but I've seen him in things before. Um, a very, very big character actor who plays this character, and he he's, has this thing against Bishop, uh, apparently. Like, you, you know, it's right from the get-go. He doesn't like Bishop. Um, it's Gabriel Byrne, isn't it? I think, yeah, maybe that's... Is well, that the character? And, and I was trying my hardest not to pay attention at this point. <laughs> but So he has this thing against Bishop. And he and it's apparent, and so that's all we know at this point. We cut back to Ethan Hawke, and Ethan Hawke is just a jerk in this movie. Yeah, he he is so unlikable in this movie. <laughs> I he, am surprised they go out of the way to make him so oh, 
They do. Oh. And and they're really, and I know I am positive, they were trying to make him to be like the smart aleck that you cheer for. The anti-hero. The anti-hero kind of like smart aleck, like I'm a tough guy, I have an edge. But like, no, no. He just comes off as a flat off, flat out jerk in this movie and just very unlikable because we're in this scene where apparently and i don't know how it works in the police force but apparently police officers can have psychiatrists make office visits like Mm -hmm. where they just kind of come on in and have psychiatry sessions on new year's eve on on new year's eve yeah yeah the uh, psychiatrist is played by Maria Bello, of all people, which surprised yeah. me. Yeah, so... I generally like her. I did not like and, her in this movie, though. Yeah, and my, my remarks here is that I just put down, like, my thoughts in, during the scene. I just put down, Ethan is a douche in this scene, because <laughs> he is so, like... He just opens up with, yeah, we all know you want to have sex with me. And, like, he's just straight up, like, just a pig to this woman. <clears throat> well, I think I think they're setting up his character as just being, like, this kind of kind of a bad boy or whatever like you were saying yeah but But, and like this whole ordeal is supposed to like he's supposed to kind of redeem himself through this whole ordeal yeah that's kind of what i took that's the attempt but what a failure failed failed miserably oh man and then he becomes a super douche because she's leaving and he steals the files like his own file from her as she's leaving this cop like you're supposed to enforce the law and like but he's a broken man, James. Jeez. Oh, he's a broken man. So she leaves to go to a New Year's party or whatever. So that's why the psychiatrist <laughs> goes. And he, he steals his file to read what she has to say about him, basically. And then we cut to John Leguizamo. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, this is where we introduce John Leguizamo and Ja Rule. Apparently, Steve Buscemi and Busta Rhymes were busy I, this weekend or something. Yeah, or? I, wow. John Leguizamo is painful. He's painful anyway in, in any movie he's in. But in here, it's like you, you drove a knife into my leg and you're twisting the knife. Like, this is painful to watch. He is so over the top in this movie and nothing he says is funny. He's supposed no. to be the comic relief. Yeah. Fails on every single level to yeah. be even remotely funny. He's he's the kind of guy like I remember in high school who tried too hard to be funny and you just wanted to punch him. Like just <laughs> shut up. Like that is John Leguizamo in this movie. That's John Leguizamo like period basically. Yeah, but especially in this film. And he actually makes a donut joke to one of the cops. Like <laughs> like like the lamest thing ever. Like really you go for a donut joke? Really? Really? Because uh, cops like donuts. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that, I mean, that's the depths that this movie goes yeah. to. By this in point, this I'm just looking for one character I can like. Exactly. I, I liked the cop at the... And I noticed something about this cop, which I'm going to bring up. He points the gun at John Leguizamo, but he doesn't shoot. I, I, so at first I was cheering for him. I'm like, oh, good. He's going to kill John Leguizamo. It's the biggest mistake this movie will ever make. But the cop who, and because the, the, these are, so I should actually back up. So John Leguizamo and all these criminals are getting on a bus. Again, this is much like the original. Yeah, and with with Lawrence Fishburne. Of and the cop that's at the head of the bus was in Battlefield, Battlefield Earth. Earth. Yep, I noticed uh, that right Our away. good friend Kim Coates. Uh, yes. Who played Carlo. Who played Carlo. 
Yes, but you didn't know his name until he died. Yes, so uh, just a little connection there. This is five years after Battlefield Earth, and if now he's in another thing, terrible movie. There's one thing I want to be reminded of. It's Battlefield yeah. Earth. Yes, so I, I, the, uh, you didn't think you didn't think when you listened to this podcast that we could connect Battlefield Earth to Assault on Precinct 13, but that's what we do here. That's the service we provide. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't, he doesn't shoot Johnny Osama, though. But they get on the bus. And this is where they telegraph that the police are somehow corrupt. Uh, so the bus, this time, it, it's and it's like done right away, the bus is going to stop at Precinct 13 to wait out the snowstorm. Yeah. That's the... Because the bus is, the driver's kind of crazy. He decides he can go like 80 down the roads when it's just like snow-covered yeah. streets. Clearly this is made by people who live in California. Exactly. They have no idea what driving in snow is like. Yeah. So this is where on the bus we see Ja Rule finally. Yay! That, <laughs> you know, Ja Rule, who I call rap's biggest mistake, <laughs> um, probably besides Master P, but... He's on the bus, and he plays a character named Smiley, who likes to talk about himself in the third person. Mm, Smiley don't play that. <laughs> and Smiley don't like that. The thing Smiley is, he's the most likable character in this movie. Because he has no character. <laughs> you know, besides him speaking in the third person, he is a blank slate. Yeah, but talking in the third person is still more than they give any other character oh, in no. this movie. I, well, that's why. Ja Rule's character is basically harmless in this film. Like, he doesn't do anything. Thing. Much like the real life jaw well, rule. Well, yeah, yes. <laughs> and and it, this this is just silly the the fact that they're being transported too because you've got Bishop who's you know a cop killer and has killed people in the past and then you have John Leguizamo who's a junkie Jaw rule who sells fake Rolex watches and then you have this other woman who I thought was a man until she actually spoke who <laughs> says I've never done a damn thing in my life I've never committed a crime yeah. so it's like these it three petty criminals yeah. these three petty criminals and then a ruthless murdering cop killer yes so yes. sure let's put those four together that makes sense yeah so now we're back the psychiatrist we come back to precinct 13 and the psychiatrist comes back because her car got stuck in the snow and apparently she must have made it a ways and she decided to hoof it back to precinct 13 instead of, of any other place that was probably nearer <clears throat> to her well, it's implied that she wanted to get that file back, and it's imp- it's implied later on that she's got a thing for Ethan Hawke. Why, uh, I don't know, because he's a D-bag. But yeah. yeah. So Ethan Hawke continues to be really unlikable in these scenes. I'm not going to go into detail because it's just the same, I'm a smart aleck no. and I'm a jerk yeah. kind of stuff. So now they get to the, the prisoners get to Precinct 13. They get loaded off. They're put in cells. And we get this scene where Bishop is just doing his crossword. And we get Leguizamo bugging him, which is supposed to be funny. But yeah. I am so cheering for Bishop to just get up and just and like... Punch him through the bar. I yeah, wanted him to just, take like, that pen and jam it into his forehead. <laughs> or something. Yeah, I wanted that uh. to happen. Like, And it doesn't happen. And then, I wrote, then we see John Leguizamo on the toilet. <sighs> Talking with Bishop. And that's a scene I needed wrote, to see. I basically wrote, Leguizamo on the toilet. I'm in hell. <laughs> like, I, like you didn't think a John Leguizamo scene could get worse. Oh, yes, it could. Because now we get to see him, t- like, watch him take a dump <laughs> while he's doing his I'm a crazy, junk, funny junkie act. 
it's uh, but he's so wacky. Uh, and so, <laughs> I mean, don't you get it? Now we get like Ja Rule come up and like start something with like Wazamo's character, and they they almost get in a fight. And then I kind of wrote down like Wazamo versus Ja Rule. The audience really wins here when it comes to that because <laughs> whoever gets the crap kicked out of them, I'm happy to see. It's happen. a win-win. Yes, it's a win-win. I don't lose in this scenario. That's all happening, and now suddenly we get guys in white ski masks break in well, to the it's, precinct. It's worth noting that the the entire time the bus was driving down the road, there's this totally inconspicuous huge black SUV following it that apparently no one noticed. And yeah. it's like, Because really? the cops don't check for that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Now we get these guys in white ski masks who break in. They break in the back door. They break in the back looking door. looking for Bishop. And they kill the, the, the cop um, who was in Battlefield Earth, probably because he was in Battlefield Earth. Yes. Yeah, That's, they saw that movie. They, so. they saw it. And saw oh, it. that movie was terrible. Bam! So he's the first to uh, die. Man, they strongly do not recommend that movie, yes, unlike exactly. me. That was the review. <laughs> like, if you wanted yeah. the, the, the review of Battlefield Earth, it's right there in that, like, 10-second scene. <clears throat> well, in a connection to the, the original, to this movie, the killers are using silence weapons. Yes. So far, that's really about the only similar <laughs> thing other than the bus yeah. and, and breaking down. Or but whatever. in this way, it's it's... A Apparently, it's clearly apparent these are not your regular thugs. Yes, you know? they are not mindless, aimless gang members. Because zombies. their weapons are like super, like ultra machine. You know, like it's like assault rifle times ten, like military grade. Yeah, like, this is serious stuff. Okay, if you're to, okay. <laughs> They're using these weapons, okay? We find out they're cops later on. Now, I always thought when they put in a mask, they're going, they're doing that to cover up and make it look like just random thugs broke in to kill these people. Yeah. Why don't they just bring in normal handguns and, you know, not AKs and stuff you can only find in a SWAT locker that can trace back to specific policemen? Well, and that goes into so much stuff later on in this movie about how they were expecting to cover yeah. their tracks. It's just, yeah, un- it makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. There's and- no way. And well, big spoiler, Brian Dunn, he's in on it, which was telegraphed like so obviously earlier on. Yeah. You should, that, you, but that comes but, way down the line. So the question way is, the why didn't Brian Dunn, he just shoot Bishop the second he shot, showed up and, well, if, they were, if there was a plan and just say he tried to escape? We're getting ahead of ourselves, but, yeah. but it's, not, it's, not nece- it's implied that he was in on it the whole time, but it's also not necessarily implied that he was in on it the whole time. Yeah, it, see, it almost, to me, I read that scene at the end there, and we'll get there, that he just kind of made the decision at yeah. that point. To yep. hand I mean, him over. But there is a scene earlier on where he says, you know, I'm retiring now, which whenever an old character in these movies says they're retiring, that's code for I'm corrupt. Or I'm, I'm going to die, die in the next five like, minutes. When he said, that's the first thing I wrote down was like, oh, the old man's retiring. That's like saying I'll be right back exactly. in a horror movie. Exactly. But that's, yeah, that's my initial it. thought. So, so, But in this shootout, another cop gets wounded. Mm-hmm. And so the cops drag him up. But apparently they don't decide to even call for an ambulance for like the next 10 minutes like they just kind of wait they're like oh yeah maybe we should call for an ambulance i mean yeah you know i I, maybe we should have done that while we were dragging him upstairs but nah we waited and then by that time the phone lines are cut well yeah they they oh god i always love how that when there's a remake of a movie uh when cell phones come into play and then they got to figure out some way oh man okay well how are we going to cover up the fact that their cell phones 
like don't work or something. Well, let's make his battery dead, or let's make it in the middle of nowhere where there's no cell reception. This one, they just blatantly like, oh, my phone doesn't work. Well, mine doesn't either. And yeah. I guess you're assuming that the criminals are blocking their signal, yeah. or yeah. the, the yeah. people who are assaulting the they, building are blocking yeah. the signal. They yeah. somehow are able to block radios and cell phone yeah. signals. The radios aren't working. Yeah. The cell phones aren't working. The phones aren't yeah. working. The so, power is out. So that's implied. That yeah. no, that, so that's why they can't call it. They can't do anything and then <laughs> a brick gets thrown through the window that just has the word bishop written on it now they take this to mean that these are bishop th- bishop's thugs out there and they're trying to free him i don't know how you can get that but apparently that's the only solution they can come to not that these guys want bishop to kill him. these could be rival gang members whatever nope this is clearly bishops that's that's bishops men out there yeah they're out there and they they want to they want to take them i was thinking to myself this whole time like it's so ambiguous like if i was the cops out there and i wanted the message there i'd want to be a lot more clear like why would you not just take do it the old-fashioned way you write on a piece of paper like a couple lines of what you want take a a rubber band tie it around the brick brick. and then throw that through the window like to be a little more clear on what you want i don't know yeah and it should be also said that they explain why nobody comes running to the police station when there's gunfire <laughs> by saying they probably are mistaken it for fireworks. Yeah, well, it is New Year's Eve after all. Yeah, those New Year's Eve fireworks in Detroit that you hear about all the totally. time. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just I love how nonchalant Ethan Hawke is about this whole scene at this point too. Like you have a dead police officer and a wounded police officer, and no one is storming the building yet after these first two guys or whatever but he's like oh they're just they're just using scare tactics we we'll just we'll just wait it out like he's so nonchalant about what <laughs> and he's right but it's like how, dude really how do you know that yeah exactly so you you have a two basically dead police officers after this i think the the lights go out because we get to the scene where laser sights are mm-hmm. all of a sudden in here and they're just it's obviously just random laser pointers getting oh, they're pointed from in. every angle because they're from all these different yeah. angles from and below like, even yes. it's like what what yeah <laughs> it makes no sense and there's like there's like three or four in every window like it's like it's crazy so they they're able they're still able to walk right up to the shutters close yeah, them and there's no gunfire shut the shut the window yeah. yeah, shut the shutters. That's no no shots are them. no shots are fired. Just the laser sights are apparently. Those are, are part of the scare tactics, James. The oh. lasers through the window. See, maybe they wanted to think the predators out there waiting for them. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, <laughs> it would have made it a heck of a lot better movie. Uh, yeah, I'd watch if that this was movie. Secretly, Predator Three or something. You yeah, know, I, I think I. I would yeah, I saw them Precinct Thirteen where the predators are the ones attacking the building. Oh, that's oh. a cool movie. I, I, I want to see now that. Now that's worthy of a remake right there. <laughs> so now we get to the scene where Ethan Hawke is going to try to go out to like the bus to try to like, you know, get help or whatever. And he goes out there and he opens the door and there's a thug there, like right there at the bus. And, and it's obvious that the thug's hunched over doing something and, and you don't get a shot of it. So then there's this big fight scene between them and there's these other supposed thugs at this point because we don't know their cops yet with like sniper rifles like trying to get it but they're tumbling around so we can't get a clear shot yeah they're terrible and there's that fight scene and obviously he ethan hawk's able to take the guy out and uh he 
searches them. And obviously, if if you're running a secret op, um, you want to have your badge on you. You you really want to have all of that information on you. Um, It's it's worth noting that uh, Ethan Hawke is able to dispatch this uh, thug with an icicle from the bottom of the bus to the eye. (laughs) Which I'm like, dude, that's such a ripoff of like, I can... Die Hard 2 is definitely one that I've seen that in before. There's probably countless other movies that yeah. I've seen an icicle to the eye. Yeah. Even it, The Christmas Story. Yeah, I mean, name any horror movie that takes place during the holidays mm-hmm. and that's yeah. a death you'll see. You're going you're gonna to get that in the in, in those kind of movies. But in this movie, yeah, that was something. It's... I love the, the badge on the guy, though. Really, I mean... That's how that's how we find out they're cops. It's because yep. one of them has their freaking badge on. Well, they needed course. some way to, uh, you know, tell them. One way you could have easily yeah. done it is that Ethan Hawke recognizes him from the police station or something. Like he pulls off the ski mask, yeah, and he just recognizes the dude. Yeah, that's much more believable than yeah. the badge on him. Like Any, that's an easy anything. that's an easy fix. That's an easy fix, and it's one that I would have believed. Like, hey, I know this guy back when I was working. You know, this unit. Like we, I, I, we weren't. I just knew him in the department you know well and that would that harkens back to the initial scene where the criminal uh drug dealer recognizes one of the undercover cops and that's where the whole shootout starts i mean yeah it could be the same thing oh i recognize this guy from back when i was in the precinct i think these guys are cops you know yeah it it just it's so much better and I don't know. There was not a lot of thought put into this. No, movie. there was not. And that is very apparent. We cut back to Bishop, and Bishop, uh, or Ethan's kind of questioning Bishop about this whole thing because they're clearly here for you. And Bishop lays out the story that D- Duvall is a dirty cop, and there's a lot of dirty cops in the precinct, and they want him dead because if he gets to court, he's going to rat them all out, mm-hmm. and their, their careers and their livelihoods are over. And so you're thinking, like, at this point, you're like, huh, that might be a a good plot point you know we don't know that for a fact that Duvall's a dirty cop and you know there, there's going to be probably a lot of suspense about that so who's going to let that hang nope next scene Duvall's out there it's confirmed like they yep. just completely yeah. ruin any possible suspense well, you could have I think they realized that it was blindingly obvious there were a bunch of corrupt cops by this point yeah but it, I think it would have played better if they made the movie a little bit better and kind of made it like well is he the guy out there like don't spell it out kind of leave us hanging a little bit like I don't know I, I think that it would have been a little bit better yeah, but, but th- that is one way to go yeah I mean, make the trist be that Duval may not be corrupt and have that be that <laughs> mean that'd be something yes yeah. Yeah, throw us a bone something, but this is such paint this is such paint by numbers yeah. type oh, type of like it's, thriller it's it's a movie that is interchangeable and oh. could have been done yeah. yeah and so now we cut back to um from Duval doing his you know snidely whiplash I'm an evil cop kind of thing to um more scenes between ethan hawk and the psychiatrist and so basically we have this forced romance starting up now between the loser cop and the ocd psychiatrist because yes she is ocd they <laughs> i guess they had to give that to her to see, give her character it, you see it's ironic because she's a psych psychiatrist and she has a mental problem there you see <laughs> yeah. and so now we get to a scene that this movie's so deep man. it is deep <laughs> yes and so now we get to a scene where you know, obviously this movie is trying to mirror the original and, you know, because it's just so great. And, the, and they <laughs> You start, wouldn't know up until now, oh, though. No, no, yeah. no, no. They start spraying the building with gunfire at this point. Just <laughs> this, like yes, the original. you're right. Uh, so they, <laughs> and it's, it's this very similar scene yes, with, but, the, with the little special effects shots. 
That's yep. somehow less satisfying of a scene. Oh, 100% oh. less satisfying. Yeah, it really is. Like it's Which just is surprising <laughs> because again, this movie doesn't try. It, it's it's the bare minimum of everything. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's no effort put into yeah. anything here. Yeah, you'd think that if they're put, gonna put zero effort into the characters, they'd put it all into the action sequences. Mm-hmm. The, and that's why this is so surprising. The action scenes in this movie are terrible. Just the fact, like, okay, in the in the original, you can understand why why all the the gang members are shooting up the building. They want to show how much force they have. They're crazy, you know. They're shooting up the building. These yeah. are tactical tactical police officers. Really, you're just gonna shoot the crap yeah. up out of a building, like. Yeah. In, it makes no sense. Yeah. In the original, the bad guys, they didn't care who they no. killed. They didn't care about collateral damage. These are cops. Do you think they would not want to kill? And that comes you know, up. That comes up. They're like, you know, if we do this, we're going to have to live this, live with this for the rest of our lives. And they're like, well, I think that's something that we can live with. So, like, they're thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. But they don't think about it even really long. No. It's like, in like a minute. They like, no. They're like, like, oh, yeah, we can, we can cross that off our list of concerns. It's, like, it's just mindless again yeah minimal effort there's no effort put into anything in this film and so ethan hawk knows for a fact that they're after bishop so what does he do obviously he's going to put cops down there to guard him right like just in case they try to come in after him because obviously the guys on the outside would know he's in the cells nah they're going to leave him completely unguarded down there you know well they they put a handcuff on the door though Yeah, true. There so, are no windows in this. And, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> that, that's exactly what comes into play because they come through the windows that are right next to the cells, and so a couple of them come in, and there's like Ethan Hawke comes down. There's this big scene where he, you know, one gets away, but one gets killed again. You know, so they kill another one of the infiltrators, and it's at this point that the that Ethan Hawke decides to arm the prisoners because there's, there's this whole subplot of him not being a leader. He's afraid to take charge, and that's like He's the psychiatry. He's afraid to make decisions. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 really stupid. So he he takes charge and arms the the prisoners, and um, it's at this point, and it's been a while since I've seen this, so I I was like, it's obvious at this point that the old man cop is in on something. Like he's not a yeah. good guy at this point, and it, you can tell it's clear. It doesn't help that he's played by Brian Dennehy. The last time yeah. that I remember playing a cop was First Blood, and well, he because, was far from the most charming individual there. And the reason I say that is because he walks up to to Ethan. He goes, and Ethan goes, "You're supposed to be guarding the front door." Well, what happens? The guys storm the front door magically. Yeah, you know, and there's this big shootout scene um and again they repel them or whatever and, yeah and, it, and and this is like a wacky scene because yeah. well there's a scene where john rogozama goes he straight up oj's one of these cops that tries to break in he has a katana and he's just hacking away that's oh, what i was gonna yeah. say so there's a scene where they're choosing their weaponry and oh. he chooses <laughs> the katana yeah. and this other girl chooses like the old 1950s yeah, tommy, a, gun. A tommy gun tommy gun okay <laughs> Granted, this is an evidence room or whatever, but yeah. who the hell has a Tommy gun? And <laughs> why would it be? Why would it, why would it be in an evidence room? Like, and why would it still work? And why would it still work? And why yeah. would you choose it? Like yeah. it's a weird weapon. To even just, yeah, I'm taking the Tommy gun. I'm going like Godfather on these. I don't guys. think that ammo is is just interchangeable. No, it's, I wouldn't think yeah, so. Uh, uh, again, I'm not a gun expert, but. 
I, Apparently they raided an antique gun store <laughs> robbery or something. I, I was expecting like you know one of the other guys to pull it like an old German Luger or something. You know, like <laughs> that's my weapon of choice, nineteen forties German Luger. Um, you know, I I don't know what's going on. And but this is where Gabriel Byrne says, "Arming the prisoners. That's a smart play." This guy is far from you know Sun Tzu. I would have to say. Um. Yeah, he's not necessarily <laughs> a master of of uh, battle tactics, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So so we get the the I, from now on. I'm gonna call the girl Tommy Gun Girl because I don't know her actual no character clue. name. Don't it care. Doesn't matter. No. Uh, but there's lots of shooting at this point. Big fights, and there's a scene where Bishop <laughs> lights a SWAT team guy on fire <laughs> with Molotovs well, yeah. <laughs> while, while they're choosing <laughs> while they're choosing their weapons. Like like Wazamo <laughs> takes a katana. This girl takes a Tommy gun. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne Bishop just picks up a couple bottles of clear liquid and then Leguizamo says, yeah, that's right, or something like that. Yeah. And like then, yes, later on, Lawrence Fishburne just comes out of the back room with these two burning Molotov cocktails. And just lights this dude up. Throws it against the cop because apparently the cop is made of stone so they would <laughs> yeah. burst open on him, you know. Yeah. And oh. it just, just lights him up. It's it so crazy. Uh, That's a smart tactic to throw a Molotov cocktail at someone in the middle of a snowstorm when he's heavily padded and armored. Yeah, so uh, he, he I think he jumps out the window yeah. into the snow. Well, yeah, he does it, he throws it at him inside the building. Yeah. <laughs> he could potentially burn the building down at this point. But but it's, um, you see, he's he's such a total badass though. I mean, uh, isn't it just so awesome? Oh, he doesn't need a gun to kill people. Yeah, and so now we get to it one of like ten scenes in this movie where the everyone points guns at each other scene because mm-hmm. they don't trust each other. And, I, and I'm just pointing it out because this happens about three times in this movie and it's their standard thing. Nothing revolutionary happens. They all put your guns down. I liked the, the lack of that type of scene in the original. And I think it was done better. Like this movie... The, the remake was poorly done in that respect where, like, you know, there's no trust. There's no common bond, really. And in the original, that played out way, way better. Absolutely. And I think it had to do with just the fact that there were less characters, more likable characters. And more believable characters. More believable characters, for sure. Like, yeah. this one, you just throw four prisoners rather than just the two because the one the one dies it's just it's too many people to keep track of exactly in case you didn't know at this point ja rule's character's name is smiley because we get plenty of scenes of him still you know speaking smiley don't like this smiley 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 and this is where we get that aforementioned scene of bishop and iris or drea de mater's character have this really weird conversation (laughs) yeah so this scene can you explain this to me (laughs) Because I was well, lost. You see, Ben, this is like, this when a scene, man and a woman love each other. That's scene, not even where this goes, though. <laughs> this scene is like some weird, like, violence fetishist yeah. dream come true on screen. It's so strange. So they're sitting down, and she's like... <laughs> she really wants to get it on, apparently. Yeah, she says, is it true you were shot five times? And, uh, and it, apparently she's really turned on by this people for, are getting shot uh, five times yeah and he leans over and he goes it was six and she's like 
really turned on by this. And then he leans over to her and tells her, like, he wraps his hand around her throat and tells her, like, he's not choking her, but he puts his hand on her throat and he says, like, the best way to kill someone, like, he tries to rip their Adam's apple out of their throat. He's trying to teach her how to properly strangle a man or something here. (laughs) Yeah, and she's like, it's clear she's still really turned on by this. Yeah. It's just out of this world, like... I believe she says earlier in the scene, like, is it true you ripped out someone's spine? He's it, like, no, actually, it was their Adam's apple. And then, yeah. then he shows her what, what he did. did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she doesn't run away screaming. She's actually more attracted to him now than she was before. Wow. Uh, yikes. So one of the cops, I think, that we saw earlier decides to come back to the precinct. Yeah, um, Capra. At this point. Yeah, Capra. Matt, played by Matt Craven. Yes, and so he gets shot at by the thug, thugs on the outside. Like, they have this, like, roadblock thing, and he gets through, uh, but then they turn around. Like, why do they let him through? But yeah, I was thinking, like, right away, like, what happens is you see one of the, you know, bad, corrupt cops talking to him like it's a checkpoint, and he actually lets him through and then pulls his gun and fires it into the back of his car. Yeah. And I was convinced, well, obviously Capra has to be in on it. That's the only way the scene well, makes sense. He's got to be in on it. Right? That's, the, that's the thing. I think that that's why he gets through and, and gets in is because the people who made this movie want you to believe that. Yeah. yeah. That but it's still, it just doesn't make any sense. It's from just a practical standpoint. It, there's no reason why you would do that. Yeah. So it com- it's completely stupid. The only reason you do it is from, obviously, like John said, the, the cinematic standpoint of we need to set up some tension in this building about more like trust issues. He makes it in. He gets shot at, but he, you know, he crashes his car into like a snow bank and they come out and grab him really quick. Again, there's more like sniper scene shots of them completely missing because they missing suck. They are terrible. But they make it, he makes it in. And Leguizamo, from right from right from the start, he's like, this dude's totally a plant. He's got the, you know, more annoying scenes where you're just like, can someone please just shoot him? Please just kill Leguizamo. Get your wish soon enough. And yeah. so, yes, and we're we actually, that's kind of where we are. So Leguizamo and Ja Rule, they hatched this idiotic plan <laughs> to, like, try to make a break for it. Well, well yeah, so after, after you know, this guy shows up in his SUV that's get, that gets all shot up, they, they're trying to hatch a plan to escape, and they, they're thinking that that SUV is the way to go, basically. So somehow they blow up the bus... Yeah. But they never tell you how no. they do it. No, they don't. They don't show it. They there's no no. Uh, it's apparently there's explosives somewhere that they use to blow this bus up. Well, yeah, and the the big thing is is like they need some sort of distraction for. Uh, I believe it's it's the Tommy Gun Girl, and because she knows how to hotwire a vehicle, or no, not even that. It's just no. So yeah, that's a separate thing. They kind of like Ethan Hawke spat, plans that because of this distraction. Yeah. So. What happens is, so they they blow up the bus, and then they're going to try to run over the fence and How try to make a break for it. Help them? I, I have no idea. I don't know. It it's, creates a diversion for the other people that they yeah. didn't even know that they I mean, needed. It, it, uh, that's so, actually how the cops notice yeah. Negrozamo running for it is because they they run right by the exploding bus. They're they're running out to freedom. I don't think they're even going for the car uh, because no. because what happens is Ethan Hawke says, "Oh well, they're making a run for it. Well, we can use that yeah. to our advantage." So Tommy Gun Girl and Psychiatrist Girl are going to <laughs> run to this, you know, the quote unquote plant's car and yeah, why use it to get away. To go, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, I Just don't to get, get it. Get rid of a couple more characters. I, I don't know. I guess so. I so, think they say they don't trust any of these criminals alone. Yeah, or something so of like course that. you. 
Maria they, Bello yeah, is the they one don't you want, send. They don't want her to just get there and escape, so they they send somebody else with her. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, a jaw rule. They cut back to jaw rule. He gets wounded or whatever, you know, because they're well, like stuck in a snowbank yeah, at this the, point. They're John Leguizamo and jaw rule are hiding behind the impenetrable snowbank from yes. sniper fire because you know <laughs> high powered rifles cannot shoot through snow. No, they can't. There's so no you, way if you are escaping from something and people are shooting at you and there's actually scenes of like the snipers like like <laughs> no shot aim above the snow i've got no <laughs> shot shoot through the snow yeah. like Just hide behind a snowman you'll be all right <laughs> <laughs> there's no way they're shooting through this that, at this point and rules just wounded now cut back to tommy gun girl and psychiatrist running out to the car tommy gun girl hot wires it and they're starting oh, to drive. that is why she because she yeah because she can hot wire it's again because the guy dropped the keys in the snow that's yeah what that, that's what yeah. it was yeah so again shades of the original here yeah, very um, loosely very loosely and so they drive they're starting to drive away and escape and guess what happens random guy pops up out of the back seat you hear one gunshot to well, tommy gun girl yeah. you see her head like yeah. Go to the left or whatever. And and uh, the car crashes. So Once again, why they waited for the car to, <laughs> to start going. I, it's just no strange. Idea. We cut back to Ja Rule and he gets killed. He gets shot and killed. It's almost like a like a little Forrest Gump and Bubba <laughs> scene kind of going on. It's almost like, oh, they were going to start the shrimping business. But oh. Ja Rule gets shot in the head. And so oh, this man, is... if this was a prequel to Forrest Gump the entire time, <laughs> so at this, this point, would be amazing. At this point, I'm actually at the edge of my seat in this movie because I am hoping and praying that Leguizamo will get it and he does because he does the dumbest thing you can possibly do when you know there are snipers you run up to a fence and you start slowly climbing said chain link fence slowly and terribly exposing your entire body to the snipers that you know for a fact are out there yeah, and, he's, and I'm gonna escape for you smiley and then he instantly gets shot and this yeah. is how terrible the snipers are it takes them quite a while to actually shoot him while he's yeah. climbing the fence like, very slowly. He's like prone against yes. this fence. Yeah. They need to get the headshot. They definitely can't just shoot yeah. a few bullets into him. They like, need come the on, headshot. Come on, set her mask, dude. Just open up. Like, I mean, spray him. Clearly, like, these are the B-list cops that yeah. are starting to be the corrupt ones. <laughs> yeah. That's why they went corrupt. Yeah. They were not <laughs> There's no other way they at, could survive. Yeah, they were not yeah. very good at police work they in were the first gonna, place. They were going to get fired if, you know, <laughs> yeah. if they were discovered. You know, Their next test for like how accurately they can shoot. You know, It's like, man... We're going to ship you off to the Galactic Empire so you can be stormtroopers <laughs> with your accuracy here. Uh, That's bad. We cut to Robert Duvall's character, and apparently the psychiatrist is alive. And here I'm thinking, like, okay. Oh, Marcus. Uh, Gabriel Byrne. Character. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Mark, we cut, we cut to Duvall. This scene kind of surprised me. It did, and this is this is hearkening back to the original. Clearly, they they're trying to, uh, if any way they possibly can, but not nearly as shocking and not I and not nearly as well done because I was thinking. Okay, so they kept the psychiatrist alive for a good reason, right? Maybe there'll be a hostage situation. Maybe yeah. there's going to be something here to it. No, 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 no. He asks her three questions. She doesn't answer and he kills her. It's a complete yeah. waste of a scene. And yeah. a waste of Maria Bello in this movie. Yeah, yeah. like I, this could have played out so much better as far as an emotional situation goes where you send Tommy Gun Girl with the throwaway horny secretary character. She's the throwaway character anyway. Like, she, if she gets killed, who cares? It doesn't really matter. But, mm-hmm. like, Maria Bello has this emotional thing going on with Ethan Hawke. It just makes way more sense in the script. You can tell that yeah. they were just going for shock value with this death. Yeah. yeah. That's 
first and foremost, the only thing that they were going for was shock and, value. And, yeah. and they flush everything else down the toilet that yep. they tried to establish earlier with the whole romance angle. Even though it sucked, mm-hmm. they just decide to flush it. Everything is gone at this point of what they invested in that. So, again, this movie is just terrible. It basically stabs itself in the back yep. in a fashion. We move on to a scene where Ethan now gives the plant, because at this time there's still you know this speculation he might not be a good guy. He decides to trust him and give him a gun and say go watch the back there's a scene where the back door is actually left open now ethan almost right away like it's lawrence fishburne finds yeah the the back door open lawrence finds the back door open and then he suspects that it's this guy this plant the guy they suspected plant is actually a plant and he's like how why did you leave the back door open and in the middle of this a squad of cops basically land on the roof via yeah. helicopter that's that's when i wrote down in my notes like where the hell is this precinct <laughs> because i'm sorry it's new year's eve and there's a snowstorm but you're not just gonna land an assault helicopter on top of a building or whatever and let guys jump out of it and that's and i love it like this is their big plan like yeah oh you know, dawn's coming soon, so they're going to do whatever they can to kill us. That's their big plan, to bring in a few more guys from a helicopter. And, and, but apparently it works because they do start breaking in, and, and it was effective. I should say, it's knowing to, it's bad for them to drive, but they can fly a helicopter through this thing. Yeah, with no no, oh, no of course. problem whatsoever. It's like it's like hovering there just fine. It's dropping the guys down. There's not even a hint yeah, of a I, problem. I love that no one notices a, a police helicopter, but later on, <laughs> You know, when the building's on fire, we'll, we'll get to, oh, yeah. we got to get out of here because the fire department's going to show up. Okay, but no mm-hmm. one noticed that helicopter. <laughs> yeah. So the squad lands on the roof, and I, and part of me was thinking, like, if you had this helicopter at your disposal, why was this not your plan A? Why would you not at least put guys right on the roof right at the beginning uh, of this? Like, I, it's, I think, isn't that like a basic police tactic when you're trying to take a building? Well, and I th- land on the roof? I think the only reason they didn't do that with any i mean if we want to give these people any credit for for having a brain at all they didn't do that in the first place because they wanted to keep it ambiguous and they wanted to for them to believe that it was just somebody either trying to rescue bishop or kill bishop yeah like essentially they wanted to break in the back kill bishop and leave Mm -hmm. which it should have been that simple why it wasn't i have no idea but part of me wishes it was that simple yeah yeah, it would have been a two-minute movie. Yeah. I mean, if anything, if they really wanted to take out Bishop and lessen the amount of innocent lives taken, they could have just blown up the freaking bus. Yeah. You take out two cops, sure, but you take out four criminals yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Movie done. <laughs> yeah. No torture for yeah. us. And it's not like they'd point to the cops, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who would want some of these guys on that bus killed. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the big problem here is, how are the cops going to cover all of this up once they kill Bishop? Yeah, it's impossible at this point. There no. is way too much that has gone on. They are screwed either way. Well, they they make they make mention of. I think it's after they kill the uh, psychiatrist. They're like, well, "What should we do with the bodies?" No, we're not doing anything with the bodies. This was Bishop's men. Remember, they wouldn't hide the bodies or something like that. Yeah, and it's like so. It's Bishop's men with <laughs> all these crazy helicopter. SWAT. You know, helicopter and rifles and police-grade ammunition. You think the cops aren't going to check what grade of rounds were used here? Like, the sniper rifle rounds and stuff laying around? Like, yeah. If Bishop's men were that heavily armed, holy crap. Like, Well, there's definitely a classification of weapon and rounds that are specifically for police yeah basically and, and it's you're gonna know that if they're mm-hmm. not gonna hide any of the bodies 
Does it include their cop buddies as well <laughs> that got gunned down by the guys in the police station? Because uh, I think they'd at least be smart enough to take them. Yeah, uh, yeah, because they're and they're in the police station. Like, yeah. there's definitely some dead cops in the police station. So, yeah, yeah I, uh, I don't they were just it. visiting, and yeah. uh, so, yeah. but so it, we get to this scene where like they know that they're on the roof now. They hear the helicopter, and so apparently in your police station you have a ton of lighter fluid just laying around. Because they basically soak the entire police station. The entire, like, main floor and upper floor. <laughs> with, with lighter fluid. And the old man at this point, the old cop, comes back and says he's magically found the secret passage through the sewers. And not suspicious at all. Not suspicious well, and, at and all. And they still suspect that this dude, this one guy, was a plant. Yeah. He's in handcuffs now, and he's with them, yeah. and they're not going to let him do anything. But the thing that I loved... <laughs> that was so ridiculous about this scene is Brian Denny, he comes up and he says, yeah, I think I found a way out in the basement. I think I found a way out in the basement. By that statement, they light the building on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I think I found a way out in the basement. Not, I definitely found a way out. This is going to lead us away. Go ahead and set the building on fire. Yeah, you would have thought, you would have thought, if you were Ethan Hawke's character, the first thing you would have said is, are you sure? Because I'm about to burn this place to the ground. So... I was going to do it anyway, but if there's a way out too, that's a that's a win-win for everybody. <laughs> so they light the place up and you see more SWAT guys on fire because apparently that's the director's vi- dream vision for this movie is he cops likes on fire. pyrotechnics, man. Yeah, um, Got to use his full body burns if you can. <laughs> so uh, they, es- and they do a, a quote-unquote escape through the sewers. They, they move through. They come <sighs> up and then we get the scene where the old cop betrays them of course and you know walks over to Duvall and his character because they all Duvall and his men come up and they're about to like execute all of them and the most unsurprising twist of all time and Bishop happens to just have a flashbang on him um, yeah, that's quite a flashbang too. And it is. They, use, they like... use them throughout the movie, and it's just like, yeah, we get it. Okay, we know what a flashbang grenade is at this point. Even yeah. though whatever that was, that looked like some sort of alien grenade. <laughs> yeah, if that's what they weird. actually do, I don't know. But but like, no, it was like like the brightest flash of all time. Well, and like... it's in the guy's pocket. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, De- Ben he comes and starts beating up Bishop Lawrence Fishburne's character. And Bishop has a grenade, stuffs it in Dennehy's pocket, a flashbang. So a flashbang is puts out light, puts out a loud noise. I don't know if it does a whole lot of damage. I'm assuming if it's on your person, that can't be good for you. I wouldn't think so. But I don't know. It, well, w- don't know. weren't the flashbangs responsible for that whole Waco incident when there was yeah, all cause, that? Yeah, because flashbangs in the right situation can light a place on fire. Yeah, because if you remember in Waco, there was like a lot of fertilizer or something, and they threw a flashbang in, and it just... It, yeah. Oh, wow. And it accidentally lights, you know, lit the place yeah. on fire. Maybe yeah. Thinking of something else. I no, no, no. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right about that. Yeah. And so, flashbangs <laughs> in the right situation can light things just, up. Just please don't send me hate mail, all you people at home. Please, <laughs> I don't need that. I mean, if they would have just used a regular grenade at some point, movie over once again. Yeah, yeah. But... So everyone scatters at this point. They and, and into the woods of Detroit. Yes, yeah. I was going to say that we're <laughs> suddenly in the heavily forested area of Det- downtown of Detroit. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, if there are any listeners from Detroit, could you please email us and let us know, are there woods in Detroit? Because this like, is ridiculous to me. And it's implied that there's like a heavily forested area right next to the downtown yeah. area that we've never seen before. Like, it's like right Well, hey, there. that's an explanation of where this precinct is, in the middle of a woods. That's <laughs> why no one heard anything. <laughs> the woods of Detroit. Exactly. Let me tell you, I... I the great Detroit forest. Yeah. Well, so so Ethan Hawke runs into the woods, and yes. Fishburne, the and plant, the, who is not actually the plant anymore, who's still handcuffed, though, and, uh, and the secretary the, character. Iris. Ooh, yeah. I, I don't know if the plant and Iris are in the woods at no, this point. No, no. It's, they, they, run, they, run to the, they run to the SUV. Yeah, they, yeah they, they run to the SUV and crash mm. at, at this point, and so <laughs> it's kind of where we leave. Because they get a flat tire. Yeah. Because <laughs> obviously if you get a flat tire... Your vehicle immediately hits a ramp that flips it over onto its its roof. Yeah, it's happened to me at least three times in yeah. the past, you know, five years. So I don't know about you, but yeah, it happens all the time. Ethan, Ethan's character and Duvall are the and one of Duvall's henchmen are in the woods at this point that we know of. And the secretary lady, after you know, she flipped, got the car flipped or whatever. Mm-hmm. I should say because this is it cuts back to that she stabs the sidekick there's like the main sidekick guy oh yeah first she does the the old adam's apple grip on his neck though yeah so she tries show, the adam's shows apple. that she yeah. learned something from yes y- you see that scene wasn't completely pointless exactly. yeah but uh, then 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 proceeds to stab him like through the like neck or right like yeah. up on the chi- yeah. like the lower like, chin like, it's like, and there, like you know yeah that that would really hurt i don't think that's gonna kill you though it would stab up into your mouth depends on i don't i they didn't I didn't see how deep that big that blade was, but it's it's, it's implied you know, right through there and uh, like into the brain or something. Something kills him. Yeah, um, he goes down. <laughs> Would the scene have been better if Mirabella had ripped out his throat? Because <laughs> not Mirabella, I mean uh, Drea de Matteo. Yeah, would the scene have been better if Drea de Matteo had ripped out this guy's throat? Because <laughs> <laughs> they kind of set it up. I it's learned like, that from my boyfriend. It's like, it would at least been more funny. It's like it's like Roadhouse. Yeah. Uh, the oh, rips man. his throat out. Roadhouse. Yeah, I mean, a Roadhouse reference now in <laughs> some people. Battlefield Earth and Roadhouse. See, can, all in the same podcast. And Forrest Gump. Hey, so we're, can, we're, can we just watch Roadhouse? I mean, <laughs> that's sad that we're actually pining for Roadhouse. Step up. Yeah, maybe I'll recommend <laughs> that one too. <laughs> so uh. we cut to Bishop in the Detroit forest because he's there now. You know, he's somehow teleported into the forest of Detroit uh, to help Ethan Hawk out. For really no reason at this point. Yeah, because he said earlier, I'm all, I'm all out for myself here. Yeah, except I guess he kind of really wants to get Duvall. Like, he really wants to take him out, you know. For whatever reason. Like, just for revenge or whatever. So Duvall actually shoots Bishop. Doesn't kill him, though. He decides to do the, you know, I'm going to talk about things because and this is where I'm we find out that Bishop was the one who approached the cops to get involved in this whole corruption thing. So this entire thing was Bishop's fault. Basically. Why would you put that in this movie and say, this guy you're supposed to like? No, he's responsible for all of this. Yeah. So we have this scene where he's about to kill Bishop and Ethan Hawke comes out of nowhere and he and Duvall shoot each other like multiple times and obviously Duvall is dead and Ethan's only wounded you know mm-hmm. he's, he's well as we've established these cops are terrible shots <laughs> they are so it, it makes sense then that Duvall would also be a terrible shot I mean he leads a squad of yeah. horrible marksmen Bishop Bishop basically at this point because Ethan's in no 
uh, conditioned to like get up and walk or chase them or whatever. Bishop basically, you know, they say like they give their one-liners to each other and Bishop walks off into the woods. It, Maybe he's going to go deer yeah. hunting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But um, Ethan Hawke yells out, I will find you. Yes, It'll he be, does. Are they setting up a sequel? Because <laughs> oh, that, that, that thought terrifies me. Yeah, <laughs> that was weird. Like the skank secretary lady f- magically finds Ethan in the deep woods of Detroit. Yeah, she she walks into the woods with some other cops and just starts yelling his name. Yeah, as if there's no more danger whatsoever. Yeah, you know, like because she, she doesn't know that Duvall's dead. She or anything. knows that everybody's dead, of and course. Why like, would she trust these cops? Exactly. That's what I thought too. When she's walking in with them, I was like, why does? She, uh, I mean, she uh, maybe she found Ethan maybe because she has like a loser sense or something, and her loser sense was tingling. Douchebaggery. Her <laughs> douchebag sense was tingling. So they walk out of the woods and they're co- going to an ambulance, and the sh- the the movie's over, but the camera pans up to like the skyline and it sits there for like two minutes before the credits even roll. Like, like <laughs> what is this? Why do we care? Like, it's establishing the skyline for no reason. It's Detroit. Yeah. Well, you see, because the sun's the coming woods. up. Oh, that. It's, yeah. Oh, is that it's what the it was? the break of the dawn. They yeah. made oh. it to sunrise. That's so stupid. Yeah. Just like Night of the Living Dead. And yes, so this movie's... <laughs> <laughs> and so ends yeah. our film. Well, and I, I mean, and obviously that scene would play out much better if it if it's the Maria Bello character. Yeah, makes yeah. more sense. I, mean, that, I don't know. That's one of those things. Why? Why would they have Maria Bello die but Dre de Matteo live? Live exactly. Yeah, it the the whole thing is just strange and nonsensical, and it reeks from what I think happened in this remake is that they had a fairly straightforward script, and then some. They had too many cooks in the kitchen. They rewrote it a few too many times, and this is the result. It becomes an incoherent mess. It's of a movie. Un, it's unrecognized. Like I've never, like I said, I've never seen anything so loosely based on a remake where it could have just been a standalone film because it has nothing to do yeah, this with this is yeah. barely a remake it's it's marginal at best yeah it's bad and so i i, I mean i guess we'll go to our recommendations although i think it's pretty clear where everyone's <laughs> coming from on this well, one you said that last week too and uh oh, well, well yeah but this yeah. one well <laughs> ben start us off well i'm not gonna surprise anyone this week uh the original I yeah I really do highly recommend that movie, especially if you're a fan of action movies or wanna are curious about what movie got him Halloween because I mean this movie really does show you how John Carpenter's career really got kicked off and why they trusted him with the, so many of these franchises down the road. Mm-hmm. I really did like the one. I recommend the remake, which is 18 minutes longer than the original. May I add, mm-hmm. it's a terrible movie. The, <laughs> There's no way I can recommend it. The only question on my mind is, is this movie somehow worse than The Fog? Both those movies released the same year, and it's surprisingly close. Which is worse, a horror movie that's not scary or an action movie that's not exciting? I, I think <clears throat> I think that this movie, this movie had more potential to be good than The Fog, and it just failed miserably. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say this one's probably worse than The Fog. Just because, at this point, you expect horror movies to just be schlocky. Action movies, I should expect this to at least have decent action. It does not. So, no, stay as far away from this remake. I'm putting that in air quotes because there's, this is barely a remake. Yeah, Just it's not. ignore it like, like the vast majority of people already have. <laughs> What do you it's, think, John? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on most of those points. Like it's it's just so it's so loosely based on the remake. 
that it just or based so loosely based on the original that just makes no sense like i'm obviously going to go for the for the original i thought it was really well done it was really simple you don't need a lot of explanation the characters were likable they made sense as unlikely of a situation as it was where you're going to have criminals working with the police the the imminent danger that they were in and the the immediate danger that they were in it made sense of why they bonded together and i don't know the characters just played out so much better in the original than in in the remake and yeah the remake is just so far-fetched even if you turn that movie on like i actually didn't mind the first scene i thought it was kind of an interesting play what i thought they were going to do was make ethan hawk the criminal and then when he wasn't i was like oh that's kind of interesting but it falls apart completely after that even if you shut your brain off like the writers did exactly (laughs) like like uh, compared to like let's say the expendables if you go to the expendables and shut your brain off you might like it because it's just a mindless action movie this is an action movie with no action or very little action so it's there's just so many things wrong that it was unenjoyable un un unenjoyable for me well okay well i guess that leaves it up to me and you know i'm gonna make this a unanimous decision i i like assault on precinct 13 the original um i there's i mean like i was saying earlier you know there's some points where the messaging really fails you know with the the front part of the movie saying implying that all the cops are corrupt yet the main character we're with is and every cop we actually meet you know at worst there's like the cops in the squad car that are looking for the gunshots are kind of incompetent but there's no real corruption or meanness coming from these cops and so there's mixed messaging there um, there's a couple of other scenes that maybe some, you know, you could have cleared up some things, made made it a little bit more coherent of a narrative. But other than that, yeah, the characters, and again, I, I'm probably going to say this with almost every remake, in the original, the characters are likable. I like them all. I want to see them live. It's a movie where I can actually root for someone in the remake there is no one to root for. Everyone's unlikable, and I don't care if they live or die. I really don't. The only one that I even remotely liked was Bishop in the in the remake. He wasn't completely unlikable. Yeah. Again, not like the bastion of like someone you want to root for, but still, in the original, likable characters that I could invest in. And again, just the guts that John Carpenter had to film that scene with the little girl getting shot. It's worth seeing because I can almost guarantee you, you will never see that in a movie, a modern movie at least, ever again. You will never, ever, yeah. ever see that. And it's worth seeing. Just be warned, it will stick with you for <laughs> the rest of your life. You you will not get that out of your head. It, very gutsy. And to see basically John Carpenter's first major film and basically really knock it out of the park for wh- really what it was yeah. is great. And genuine tension in the scenes of the criminals breaking in and all that. Just It's a, it's a really competently well-made film that will, at the end, you'll, you'll smile. Like, you'll, you'll feel good that you sat and watched that film. It, you know, it was fun. Yeah, it was a fun movie, and you, and it was just, it makes you feel good. So, it, you know, if you want to rent it for a few bucks. I'll, it's a feel-good movie. It really <laughs> it, it kind of is. Like, uh, I, you know, you kind of smile. You're like, yeah, cool. Well, like, the good guys make it by out. The, by the, yeah, by the end of that movie, like, 
you you are totally rooting for them uh and they really are the good guys like as weird as that is like the criminal who has definitely killed people in the past you're still rooting for him and there's camaraderie at the end of that movie and you're rooting for him because he's actually on the side of the cops too like he's not like a scumbag like bishop's character's like i'm only doing this for myself yeah. like it's clear that napoleon in the in the original <laughs> that's probably one of the worst parts of the movie is they actually named him Napoleon. But, uh, you know, he actually comes off as like, almost like without repenting, like almost kind of a repentant, like I'm changing my ways kind of guy. His character's consistent. He's, he's a consistent character. He's good. He's someone you want to see win. It's just too bad that once you actually sit back and realize that he's actually on his way to death row at the end of this film. Yeah. But still, great movie. You think you think maybe in the back of, of the minds of people, they might be thinking, well, maybe something will change because of what he just did for... Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you hope, maybe. Yeah, so... Yeah. So that's that's my recommendation. So I've made this unanimous. We all recommend the original way over the remake. I'm just surprised we found a movie worse than The Fog just a couple episodes out. Yeah, it, worse it, than this The was Fog. Worse than Battlefield Earth. 2005 Ooh. was not a good. <laughs> 2000, well, yeah, 2005 was not a good year for John Carpenter. Remakes, no. <laughs> when he saw these remakes go down in flames. What flame. the hell are you doing to my work? <laughs> so. At least they're not remaking Halloween. Yeah. Oh. So with that, um, I'll give out our email address here. Uh, that that email address is remake this podcast at gmail dot com. Also, leave comments on SoundCloud. Um, rate us on iTunes. Shoot us emails if you have any suggestions for future episodes, or if you have comments, questions, whatever you want to do. Hit us up and we'd be more than happy to hear from you. And so with that, we're going to do our drawing this week for our next film, which will be an actual adaptation of a written work, maybe, or a video game or whatnot. So yeah. we'll, we'll do it, that right it, now. Better or worse, it, it can't be longer than Battlefield Earth, oh. we can at least assume. <laughs> yeah. I'm not... I'm not. <laughs> I'm not reading a, a thousand-page novel. I refuse. <laughs> uh, no, I'm uh, just Let's see what I actually pull on here. Don't make me kill you, James. All right, I got one. 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 Okay, come on. Uh, I'm watching the face. Oh, ah, ah, interesting. We're on a roll here. The next episode will be Blade Runner and Ooh. its associated novel, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Nice. Oh, nice. We'll let uh, figure out what version of that movie we're going to be checking out. Yeah, because there's like six versions out there. But yeah, that's actually very, very interesting. So that will be our next episode. See, I'm redeeming myself. I'm I'm turning it around. You're only setting yourself up for failure next week. It just means that (laughs) when you draw something really terrible next time that it's going to be all the more worse. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. So, (laughs) well, hey, I I got lucky here and I'm going to take it. So... For Ben Rosenthal, John Hess, I am James Rosenthal, and this was the Remake This Podcast. See you next time.